I hope you are ready for some pro wrestling punditry and the wildest, wackiest, funnest, most unconventional week of your entire life in pro wrestling because it is here, the Wednesday Night War, pro wrestling mania, the new era, it is upon us and we are going to break it all down for you the last five days worth of news. I have a goddamn book in front of me of pro wrestling news <laughs> for the past five days. It is the Winkly. I am your Wrestling Inc. Managing Editor, Nick Hausman, and I am joined here as I am just about every Tuesday by my good friend, Michael Weissman. Michael, welcome back to the Winkly. Thank you, Nick. I appreciate it. It's going to be uh, one heck of a week. Um, it's one heck of a time to be a wrestling fan. And can I just say, I just want to give a little career advice out there. If you're an aspiring podcaster, <clears throat> this is not related to wrestling at all, but if you're an aspiring podcaster, do not eat an apple minutes before you go on the air because it's going to be stuck in your teeth, and that shiz is annoying to yeah. try to talk through. No apples, Sick. no raw steaks. I get a lot of steak in my teeth mm. when I eat like mm -hmm. a, a too rare of a steak. So anyway, uh, food for thought. All right, I would do more blubbering here at the top with Michael about TJ Maxx or whatever else I want to talk about, but we got a lot to get to here today. This is a very important week in pro wrestling. Before we get uh, to it here, we do have a few uh, condolences we wanted to send out and best wishes. Uh, first of all, we send out our condolences to the family and friends of Rick Bogner. Uh, he passed away at 49 on September 20th. Uh, Bogner was best known to WWE fans uh, as the fake Razor Ramon back during uh, the beginning days of the Attitude Era. Uh, he was also a big titan of Frontier at MMA. Um, so th uh, sending out our best to uh, the family and friends of Rick Bogner here. We also want to send our best out to superstar Billy Graham and his friends and family. Uh, he is recovering from a heart attack. Uh, he noted on Twitter that all I'll say for now is that I have suffered a heart attack and I am in constant heart failure. I am, of course, on medications for my heart and will be for the remainder of my life. Well, we're thinking about you, Billy, and we're also thinking about and sending our best to former WWE, ECW, WCW superstar Samu Ano Anawahi, who recently underwent a successful liver transplant. His son Lance noted the following on Twitter. After about 13 and a half hour liver transplant surgery, my dad went through with the doctor. Uh, the doctor was very pleased with how it went. My dad is in tons of pain, but I personally wanted to come on here and say thank you for all the well wishes and prayers. His journey, his journey to recovery is just beginning. And if you want to support Samu and the Anawahi family there, uh, you can go to GoFundMe right now. There is a, a, a page there to help him with his medical expenses. So uh, there we go. Our best out there. Thinking of everybody. Thinking to Samu. Uh, we're thinking of Billy. And we're thinking about, of course, the friends and family of, of Rick Bogner. Uh, and with that, let's get to the news of the past five days. Uh, after the news, uh, we have a couple. We have some big pieces of audio here today as well. After the news, uh, you're going to get, first of all, two interviews. Uh, I'm very excited about this. We've been hyping these interviews here for a couple days over on Twitter. Uh, started announced this past Thursday. Uh, we're going to hear from AEW's Joey Janela right after the news here. And then after Joey, you're going to hear from Effie, hot up-and-comer Effie. He's uh, going to be jumping up, stepping up here in GCW. Of course, last night was the curtain call with Joey. Uh, Jungle Boy Marco Stunt leaving for AEW. So you hear from Joey and Effie a bit of the past present and future of GCW there. And right after we finish recording this here today, Michael, I am jumping on to a media call with Cody Rhodes to discuss AEW Dynamite. And so we are going to include that audio here as well. Since it has not happened yet, I don't know what he said. So you're going to be hearing it uh, really as close to when I heard it as well. Um, so there you go. Joey Janela, Effie, and Cody Rhodes all on the Winkly today, Michael. That is, a, that is a slam banger of a show to start such a historical week in pro wrestling. I'm thrilled, Michael. This is like one of those situations where I just let you run with this because there's so much going on. There's so much news. There's so many great interviews popping up here that I can't even pundit about it because it's just 
all the stuff takes the space of the punditry. Yes. I do want to say, Nick, you yes. said this earlier in the show. I think it's super important to say this again. If you are a pro wrestling fan, yes. I cannot remember a time this exciting to be following the sport, to be, uh, of course, associated with it on the journalistic side, but also just to be a fan of it with so much going on. God, man, this week is something special. If you yes. are a pro wrestling fan, please yes. just, you know, as, as Chris Jericho says, drink it in, man, because very few times, I mean, it's been what, 20 years yeah. since I can remember a time this exciting in yeah. pro wrestling. I mean, the attitude era, um, yeah, yeah, it's cool, man. It's so cool to be here. There we go. Thank you for that, Michael. I can, I can hear it in your voice. You're very excited. And, uh, that's a great way to lead into the news of the week here. Again, the last five days were the news. Let's dive on into it. Like you said, there is a lot to get to here. We're going to get to as much of the facts as we can do this, do punditing when we can here. So here it is news. You can use news to leave a bruise before we get to the Wednesday night war. Uh, we are going to talk about a couple CM Punk related issues here, because while there's been so much noise in the room right here, right now, easily some of the most traffic posts we've done in the past five days have been related to CM Punk. So let's get to the punk news here first. Uh, In regards to CM Punk and WWE, now there is an impression from WWE that they believe Punk wants back in the company, but right now it's nothing that they're counting on happening. Uh, Regarding uh, Punk uh, and AEW, the Observer, and these are for this from the Observer, by the way, the Observer is noting how he did receive, receive an opening offer from AEW a while back, but then he made himself scarce was negative toward the company during an interview with uh, Mark Ramondi of ESPN back in July. Uh, it looks like there's been no contact between AEW and Punk since then. Um, the uh, Even though WWE went after Punk fairly hard in the lawsuit against Dr. Ramon, which I was in the courtroom for, we can talk about that here in a second, uh, costing him uh, a dollar amount in the seven figures, I've heard that as well, over a million dollars in this suit he lost, WWE is still in the place that he feels he can WWE is still the place that Punk reportedly feels he can make the most money, which is probably true. Uh, even though WWE went after Punk fair. Oh yeah. Uh, PWinsider.com jumping in here reporting that multiple WWE sources have confirmed that W have confirmed that Punk was at Fox studios earlier this week in LA to discuss a potential on-air role for the WWE back backstage show on FS1, which is going to premiere on November 5th hosted by Renee Young. There's no word yet on what all went down at that meeting, but Punk did do some on-camera testing, and Renee Young was present for these tests. It has not been confirmed that Punk has signed a deal to work the show, but the Wrestling Observer is reporting the feeling is that Punk's tryout went well, and you'll probably get an offer to join the show. With Fox taping the series each week, not WWE, Punk would technically be working for Fox, not WWE, if he signs on to be part of the show. It was speculated that WWE would probably not want to put up a fight if Fox is interested in Punk, and that, you know, also, it keeps him away from AEW. Now, Meltzer went on to say that he was told by AEW that they would never work with Punk again after his interview with ESPN in July. In that interview, Punk was negative about AEW when he was asked about the relationship with the company. He reiterated previous comments on talking with AEW, but nothing came of those talks. He also noted that AEW loves to talk about him a lot and that they had and that they had made him an offer over text. Now, Cody went to Collider. He talked to Ryan Satin regarding Punk. He said he did kind of make us look like dumbasses, saying, he, saying we sent him a text offer. I'm sure we texted him, but we also called him. Someone also met him in a coffee shop. We made genuine efforts, but in this Someone case... Someone secretive like AEW operatives, right? Jesus. But in this case, 2019, it's been quite some time away from the ring. we got to focus who on who really wants to be on board with us versus going out and finding someone who perhaps doesn't really want to be a part of this. I didn't really communicate with him any further about that. I expected to see him at StarCast. He gave, gave a great live show with Mike Johnson. 
He was really great with the answers. I'm sure we'll run into each other at some point. If he ever wanted to be a part of this and has the passion to come back to wrestling, the door is open. No ego, no situation would ever prevent us from having him come in because the fans have never given up on Punk ever. It's crazy. It was then, uh, to last note here, it was speculated by Meltzer that Punk would be interested in returning to WWE as a wrestler as well if he were to receive a deal similar to Brock Lesnar or Bill Goldberg. All right. I'll take a breath here. A lot to take in of everything I just put out there. What grabs you of most interest, Michael? This Punk story is absolutely insane. From the fact that Fox could be hiring Punk directly under WWE's nose, right? Like, Punk's not working with you guys, but we want him on our show. And he'd be great in this role, right? Let's not discount that. So that's crazy. But then all of the more heated back and forth between Punk and Cody and AEW right now, and and this report from Meltzer, that AEW has no interest right now in working with Punk. Yeah. Doesn't you sound know, like Punk has much interest in working with AEW, though, to be fair. So it's kind of like, I don't know, you broke up with me, I broke up with you. That's what it sounds like to me. It sounds like what, what AEW is looking for, right? They want to be true to what they're trying to do here. Cody Rhodes wants people who are passionate to be in that company. Cody Rhodes, Tony Khan, the Young Bucks. They want somebody there who is all on board for being a pro wrestler for AEW all the time and bringing that to life in their vision. And you talk about somebody like Punk. Punk is, to a certain extent, He's one of those guys now who's a little bit bigger than the sport, right? He is he's not as big as we'll say the rock, right? Obviously not as big as the rock, probably not as big as Brock Lesnar, but he's a guy who has an aura about him where he can go out there and make money and he still has name recognition, even though he's been away from the ring for seven years, six years, however long it's been. So I, I think it's fascinating that, you know, it seems like AEW's gone cold on him, especially because Back in the day, a few months ago, it was reported that Tony Khan originally had pegged Punk as one of the guys he wanted to build this company around. Yes, a, co- um, a, a comment that I followed up on with him in a media scrum one time with Dave Meltzer standing over my shoulder and made t- Tony Khan feel very uncomfortable from the way he reacted to that question. Anyway, continue. Yeah. Sorry. So, so, you know, all of that is just making this a much more interesting story. What I will say is this, right? Number one, I, I don't think Punk is going to be in AEW. I think if they were going to pull that trigger, they would have done it back at Chicago, back at All Out, because that would have been the perfect hook to lead into your Wednesday night show. It brings people back in October. So I don't think that's going to happen. However, if there was ever a time for Punk to join AEW and bring in that big splash tomorrow happen. night. I don't It ain't going to happen. Dude, if he's in test right now to do this WWE show, Renee Young's there. They're looking in. I see this as a chance for Punk and WWE to test the waters here on both ends, right? You can use Fox as the mediating factor here. I think it's also interesting that WWE is like, hey, you know what? Fox, he's your guy. You deal with him. That's great. You're keeping him away from AEW for us. It's an all-win, I think, for both sides here. And if they can make it work, and, you know, again, you're going to be putting Punk in a situation where he's going to, if the show is all punditry, you're going to have Punk openly talking about the WWE product. I think this is going to be a test the waters type situation. If everybody can play ball, I wouldn't be shocked to see Punk with one more run, you know, three to five years in WWE if all goes well. You're right. I mean, you are absolutely right, Nick. I'm just saying if there's ever a chance, now Punk's name is associated with AEW. No, No. so for real though, Punk... Punk WWE makes a lot of sense. Punk has a lot of interest he's doing right now with the movie roles and other aspects of his career he wants to focus on outside of wrestling. But the idea that he could return part-time to the ring, get those big paydays, support big shows for WWE, it seems like a, a you know a ready-made match. And yeah, WWE, listen, time heals all wounds. He burnt those bridges, but now they're rebuilt, right? Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Uh, talking about burnt bridges here, let's talk about the other CM Punk news. Uh, coming out of Forbes, uh, CM Punk, Cole Cabana, they have settled their lawsuit, the lawsuit by Cabana and Punk. Uh, the lawsuit by Cabana and Punk's following countersuit were dismissed last Thursday, one day after Punk's lawyers, 
lawyers filed to have the case dismissed. PWInsider.com reporting that Punk and Cabana jointly filed for the case to be dismissed. It was noted that there was no financial settlement involved. The lawsuits were dismissed with prejudice, so neither party can file another lawsuit against the other over this matter. And that sounds, on the surface, like, good, these friends are burying the hatchet, they're moving on. Well, then we get to a series of tweets here from Punk responding to the case being dismissed. Uh, When a user on Twitter noted that Colt abides while referencing the legal issues between the former friends, Punk responded by saying, Whitey asked to settle then. I wanted it to go to trial, play stupid games, win stupid prizes, enjoy donating to the eventual woe is me GoFundMe account. When the user then suggested that Cabana settle the suit to move on with his life, Punk replied, he sued me. He wanted to end this dumb SHIT. He started. I asked to speak to him. He declined. I asked to intermediation. He declined. I offered money. It wasn't enough. I never wanted any of it. He's as greedy as you are ignorant to who I am and fooled by who he is. Punk added that he loved Cabana. He would have done anything for him. He claims that he would have just given Cabana the money if he had asked him. However, Cabana instead, as Punk saw it, tried to extort me. Yikes. Doesn't sound like that bridge is going to be rebuilt uh, anytime soon. But who knows? Maybe they're working us. Maybe Punky Cabana... Those are the mystery partners for Jericho. <laughs> yeah, you're buying into it now, aren't you? Aren't you there, Nick? Cabana's wrestling for the ROH title right now, or is he planning to go to AEW? No, I'm just kidding. That that's that's uh, that's just nonsense. Uh, but yeah, man, uh, really dirty ending to this here. Uh, this means that if there was no financial settlement here, uh, Cabana was responsible for all his own legal expenses in this court case that him and Punk went through against Amon, which the Observer noted cost Punk over seven figures, so at least six. For, for Cabana there. And look, you know, I know Punk's made, obviously, a lot of money. Cabana has done very well for himself. He was one of the pioneers of pro wrestling tees. He's a very smart businessman. But, yeah, this doesn't sound like it ended well, Michael. Well, yeah, you talk about money is one of the things that money divides marriages. Money can break apart great friendships. And it's unfortunate here, I think. CM Punk, Colt Cabana, that was one of those historic kind of independent pro wrestling friendships that just seem to exist outside the business. And I hate that all this has kind of come between them. You know, I also think Punk... When you, when you follow Punk on Twitter, Punk is a very direct individual. He will tell you what he thinks. And I think that it sometimes does him a disservice. Like when you hear him with that interview he did with Mike Johnson at, at StarCast, he's very genuine, very authentic, and, and very, I, I think, to a certain extent, I don't want to say endearing, but he's a person you feel like you can connect with. When you read his tweets, a tweet like this, talking about, you know, he sued me, he wanted it in the dumb shit, he started blah, blah, blah. He comes across a lot more aggressive, so context is important here. I don't think – I think we'd be remiss to say either person is the bad guy here. I think it's just a simple falling apart over finances, unfortunately. Uh, I, I, I agree, and uh, so, something had to have happened here between these two. Nobody seems to know, but I, I don't know if it was uh, – I don't know what happened here. It, Punk seems to see – seems to think it would have just been fine if it had just been about money, but there's something else here. I mean, they say he extorted you, and he's ignorant and all those type things, or he's greedy. That's 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 some that's some shade. And now that they can't go back to court, I guess he can say whatever he wants. So anyway, um, <laughs> moving past the CM Punk news, The Rock has announced he is finally coming back to WWE SmackDown. He'll be at the Fox debut uh, this Friday night. What do you expect for The Rock on on SmackDown? This is a big get for WWE. I think it's going to be a cool little 10-minute, 15-minute segment. I don't think they're going to have him out there any more than that. He's going to come out, talk about how important this show, his show is, 
to him, how, you know, he's gone on to be a huge movie star, but his heart will always be with WWE and what they've built with SmackDown. So I think it's awesome they managed to get him for this. I know he's made a few appearances in recent years since doing his last couple of runs with the company. And he's the guy you need out there. WWE SmackDown would be nothing without The Rock. It is, again, The Rock show built around his catchphrase. And it really adds an element of superstardom to this. I know they've listed off all of these other pro wrestling celebrities but to have the biggest box office draw in the world come into your wrestling ring and talk about how important this show is and now the move to Fox I know Fox execs have got to be happy with this and WWE man that makes them feel like a big league promotion a big league I, I'm sorry promotion they're obviously a big league promotion but really a big league company entity yeah I agree it, it makes them feel even more mainstream than they already are at the moment here but somebody's got to confront The Rock. Who do you think's the guy to come out and confront? I mean, Steve Austin will be there. I think we can see a moment with The Rock and Steve Austin. I also think we could see a follow-up from the Bray Wyatt-Rock confrontation uh, from a couple years ago at Dallas WrestleMania. Um, you know, Bray Wyatt's been laying out a lot of legends. What better way to put this guy over and, you know, add another creepy photo with some marked-out eyes behind him than The Rock, you know? You think somebody puts down The Rock on The Rock show on its debut episode on Fox? Hey, man, Come on, man. if The Fiend laid out The Rock on the Fox debut, I don't think anybody would say it was bad, and I think it would get a hell of a lot of buzz. Especially going into Hell in a Cell. Also, I mean, yeah. let's just, you know, CM Punk shows up and gives them a... Not, well, you know what? <laughs> you know what? Who, kn who knows? Maybe. Who knows? Um, they have built-in beef. He took the championship from him. Um, all right, uh, let's talk a bit about some news um, coming out of the uh, regarding the WWE announced team. Um, now, I believe this was from, yeah, this was uh, The Observer. Uh, Heyman reportedly saw Vic Joseph on WWE 205 Live, liked his work. Uh, Heyman also met with uh, Dio Madden, thought he was his guy for the Raw announced team. Heyman reportedly liked Madden's personality. He really wanted him on the team, despite the lack of knowledge. Lawler revealed in an interview recently that Heyman wanted to put the younger Joseph and Madden on, on Raw, but Vince wanted a veteran announcer to put with him, which is why he made the call to put Lawler in the mix. Uh, Meltzer speculated that it could be Nigel McGinnis who calls uh, WWE NXT and Mauro Ronaldo with WWE uh, and WWE Hall of Famer Beth Phoenix, but that's just speculation regarding Nigel. Uh, regarding the new SmackDown team, it was noted that Vince wanted Cole on SmackDown because this is the new A show for the company. There were no issues with Tom Phillips and Byron Saxton, the odd man out in this situation, but it was noted that Phillips was just the odd man out. Phillips was reportedly now working behind the scenes with the company, but there's no word yet on official roles for Phillips and Saxton. Okay, wait, I think I got the... Oh, I got it. Okay. They thought it was going to be Nigel McGuinness to join them on Raw, who currently calls NXT with Morrow and Beth, but that was just speculation. Obviously, Lawler got the nod. Got it. Okay, I messed up that line read. Um, there you go. Bunch of backstage news on the announced teams. Here's what I'll say, and I'll kick it to you. I was very hesitant about Lawler in this role here, right? He's a bit of a throwback. You know, I don't know how active he is in keeping up with the product, but, man, he was the glue that held that team together on Monday night. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's the guy that brought that, again, what Vince McMahon wanted here, a, a veteran level of credibility to the, you know, the whole shebang. And, and I think that Madden did a really, I really liked Madden last night. I thought he did a really good job. Vic Joseph was fine. He kind of found his groove as the show went on. But Lawler was the guy who kind of brought them both together in that. So I, I thought it was a good first outing for them. I'm not saying it's the new superstardom of teams, but I, it worked for me. I will say this. I did not notice the commentary team a whole lot, which was good. I thought the show popped more and you know physically popped we got pyro last night we got a new set last night uh but i thought they did a really good job especially with all the the waves that get made anymore about the announcers talking over moments and matches and making it about them we didn't really get any of that on raw and i thought they did a very good job i, I really did i thought it was a good team 
So. Yeah, yeah, and it, it didn't feel. It felt more like a an actual sports broadcast and less like a look. We have these guys bickering, and isn't that funny? Ha ha ha. So you know, I like these changes, and I'm I'm glad to see Michael Cole, um, Corey Graves finding their own home on SmackDown. I think even though those guys have been working together for a while, it's still going to make SmackDown feel a little bit different, and that's what WWE obviously wants right now. I do feel really bad though, Nick, Tom Phillips, Byron Saxon. I think Tom Phillips is really good. I'm not going to say he's you know Maro and Allo good, but I think he's good. And Byron Saxton has worked so hard for that spot on Raw. I just, you know, well, it is what it is. It's business, but can't help us with that. Here's the thing. Is all, as, as WWE is building these new brands and everything like that, you're going to need – the announcers are going to be moving around, just like with having the performance center at NXT or what NXT used to be. To have a deep bench, to have some players that are on reserve, knowing that if you have a new project come along, you're going to want some veterans in those roles. I think these guys are safe right now. I would enjoy the, the breath. I would take a breath in this moment and enjoy you know, what you're getting to do. But I think we'll see both of them back in some kind of broadcasting position here in the not-too-distant future. You know. Yeah. Um, again, fresh. I mean, fresh sets, fresh eyes, fresh product. It does make everything feel kind of renewed in a way we've not that, had in quite some time in this company. So that's cool. That pyro I thought added a lot, man. Dude, I, and even the new set. I mean, the new set has its kind of own thing going on. It's a little bit different and weird. But again, it makes the broadcast feel special. And that's what you want if you're doing a, a, a season premiere, right? But really taking on new competition. Yeah, I agree. Well, you know what uh, did not make me feel special? It made me feel uncomfortable was the way that uh, Raw ended last night. Uh, Bobby Lashley returned, uh, and Lana returned alongside Bobby Lashley while Rusev was in the ring, and then they played tonsil hockey. They made out right (laughs) in front of Rusev. The moment was then followed by The Fiend attacking Rollins to close the show. A lot of chaos, a lot of questions. What did you think about the end of Raw? It felt like Paul Heyman, and listen, you know, they're going for something different, and I appreciate that, but it felt like we need a way to, and I think the Rusev-Bobby Lashley feud could be a good one, but we need a way to get there, and this felt like a throwback to classic Heyman. Let's give something a little bit edgier. Let's give something that's going to feel a little more adult, a little more scandalous, give some kind of built-in personal passion feud here. Um, I don't know that it played that well or as well as because I think Lana and Lashley is just weird. And also, <laughs> Lana and Rusev is so great together. Yeah, I, that's true. And I would, I would guess Lana's working, working Lashley here. I would think, but who knows where they're yeah. going with this. But uh, yeah, Lashley a little stiff sexually right? <laughs> to be such i mean lashley's a you should just treat him like a prize fighter you give him a mouthpiece and people want to take him down because he's you know the alpha male the big dog whatever it is and i like that storyline better i do think though rusev and lashley is the right kind of feud for both men i, I think agree. rusev is looking great right now and i think this makes him feel more main event than he's felt in quite some time yeah i mean i guess everybody you know everybody's cool with it i guess but i was watching i was like oh it was awkward. Seth Rollins. I mean, we're going to get to some more stuff here a little bit, but even Seth Rollins just being around this makes him feel more awkward by association. It's you know, weird. Uh, but anyway, again, Buzzy. I know it's like the most watched video coming out of Raw last night on YouTube for WWE. So I guess home run, <laughs> success. Uh, also, last night on Raw, we had Flair and Hogan on Miz TV in what I thought was Flair. I don't know, man. Flair seemed to be genuine, like he was supposed to be going heel, I guess, in this segment. But I also feel like I also feel like Flair was genuinely getting a few things off his chest at the same time, unless he's just a great worker. How did you feel about the interaction here? Oh, God bless the Miz for kind of keeping this thing from going completely off the train tracks here. Yeah, he kept saying things to Flair. Flair would be like, huh, what'd you say? What's going on? I don't <laughs> yeah. like your first thing he said. I don't like your music. <laughs> Everybody just looks at Rick. I'm tired of listening to your music. Garbage. 
You know what he reminded me of? He reminds me of that uncle that you see every couple times a year at like family get-togethers, and he just kind of says whatever comes to mind, and he's like, "Yo, oh, I love you, kid, but also America sucks these days, you know, millennials, but I love you, kid. That's what he reminded me of is that, hey, that weird Uncle Joe, right? Hey, Ric Flair was able to get heat, and he's Ric Flair, and, uh, <laughs> you know, Hogan, uh, best, he's, best he's been received here in a while from WWE. Um, <laughs> I will say, uh, so then this... These two, it led to the announcement that uh, Flair versus Hogan, uh, I guess it's going to be a five-on-five Survivor Series type match, uh, happening now at Crown Jewel on Halloween. A little odd on the eve of actual Survivor Series, which happens a couple weeks later. Uh, but on Team Flair, we've got Orton and Corbin. Team Hogan, we've got Rollins and Rusev. And uh, there we go. There's your first Crown Jewel, first big Crown Jewel match. Uh, the Undertaker, on, on the note of Crown Jewel here, The Undertaker and Hogan have already cut video promos, promos promoting the event. Um, and, uh, the website, I watched the whole commercial and at the end there's a website for tickets and I was like, Hmm, I'm going to go to this website and see what the ticket situation is like. I pulled up the tickets page for WWE crown jewel and it, it just said coming soon. So hmm. I don't know. Make of that what you will. Um, other names announced for this show, uh, crown jewel, Brock Lesnar, Kofi, AJ Styles, Roman Reigns, Big E, Xavier, the fiend, Bray Wyatt, Braun, Ray, uh, Mansoor, Al Shahil. And uh, the show will be part of the Riyadh season that runs from October 15th through uh, December 15th. The Saudis are going to be holding 11 festivals during those two months as a way to boost domestic and international tourism in the country. And Crown Jewel will be a part of those festivals. Because, yes, you can go now visit Saudi Arabia if that is something that you would like to do. So, um (laughs) Uh, Wouldn't recommend it. (laughs) Yeah. All I can say is uh, I'm sure we'll be hearing – more about this uh, probably in mainstream news here in a couple weeks, as we usually do. The onset yeah. of what piece of, of bad PR will we get for WWE here is kind of the countdown every time I hear about these now. I think it'll be less, though, Nick. I think they've kind of crested that. You know, it's been a year since the know. Khashoggi murders, and I, I think we're kind of – you will hear some buzz, but I don't think it's going to be as vehement as it was back in March or whatever. So, yeah, and this is, again, this is the, one of those weird shows. They always do these – these Saudi Arabia shows just feel like they're coming out of some kind of like fantasy, like, you know, seven year old fantasy booked show. Yeah. I want to have all these guys on one team fighting for Hulk Hogan. I don't know why WWE does want to do the same kind of match. Survivor series is always the kind of match that I'm not always into anyway. So doing multiple of these matches so close together feels like a drag, but I don't think these shows are for us. They are for the Saudi and, and, and royalty over there. And I don't want to get too, uh, I don't want to get too political here on the show. I try not sure. to keep the show political. Um, but, you know, there has uh, obviously the biggest news of the past week, you know, these secret shape tapes of Donald Trump's talking to, to world leaders and things. And it sounds like more will be coming out. Uh, some of those calls could involve MBS in the conversations with Donald Trump. We know MBS is a wrestling fan. We know Donald Trump's in the WWE Hall of Fame. I'm just wondering, is this something Donald Trump talks to the crowd, the, the prince of Saudi Arabia about on one of these tapes? Is this how this gets brought back up in the mainstream discussion, which I don't think is completely out of the question? I don't think it is either. Not with Donald Trump's propensity for promoting his friends. And we do know that McMahon and Trump are both very close. That's what I'm saying, man. That's like he's going to try to sound cool. He's like, yeah, that's pretty cool. You got the fiend coming. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, no. This one time I was at WrestleMania and I won in a match. Bobby Lashley. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, so anyway, I just had to throw that out there because if it does happen, I just wanted to be a little ahead of the curve, but just saying, just saying, uh, Brock Lesnar also returned on uh, Monday night raw last night, destroying Ray Mysterio and his son, Dominic to start raw. Uh, Brock, of course, going to take on Kofi Kingston on SmackDown's Fox debut. Uh, the observer reporting that Paul Heyman's promo praising Brock on last night's raw season premiere 
was designed to be part of the build to a potential wrestling match with UFC star Cain Velasquez. So I'm going to jump here for a second to add a little context to that. Now, the Observer also reporting that Cain Velasquez has met with WWE. Now, the former UFC champ is checking in with other big companies, including New Japan and AEW, but the talks with WWE are serious, although it wasn't clear thing where things between Velasquez and AEW are. Of course, if you've been keeping up with Kane, he's down in AAA right now working under a hood and, like, kicks ass. He's not wrestling like Brock. He wants to be like Mil Mascaras. He's wrestling like a luchador. Um, Velasquez is still under contract at the UFC, allowing him to do pro wrestling. It's unclear how much he can do. The key to an offer from WWE would be building to this big showdown between Velasquez and Brock Lesnar. Uh, Velasquez did beat Brock Lesnar in the UFC to win the UFC heavyweight title at UFC uh, 221 and UFC 21 in 2010. Uh, so back to this story here about this promo. Um, it was noted that the Lesnar versus Velasquez was the idea behind the Raw segment that saw Lesnar destroy Rey Mysterio and his son, with the idea that Lesnar destroying WWE's top Mexican superstar and his son, that Kane, a legitimate Mexican badass hero, could eventually come to get revenge. While Kane is not signed with WWE, the angle and the promo on Raw were done to build to that direction of a match between Lesnar and Velasquez. That match may not happen if Kane signs elsewhere, but that's the destination that WWE has in mind. If this is all how the stars are aligning, this could kick some serious ass. I love this. I think this is great. Yeah, Cain Velasquez and obviously Brock Lesnar have this built-in history, which already adds to the element of storytelling. Cain Velasquez showing up to protect Rey Mysterio makes him a hero. And even if fans aren't UFC fans or just WWE fans, they've heard of him, he shows up to protect their dude, Rey Mysterio. It automatically gives fans a reason to buy into Cain Velasquez as a legitimate pro wrestling threat, and that's awesome. Also, Cain Velasquez, um, he's a very dynamic athlete. You mentioned him trying to do this luchador style. I think that makes him more appealing to the casual fan who, again, doesn't watch UFC. Uh, it could be a monster fight. I do hate that Rey Mysterio is kind of being used as the pawn here, right? He's not used, He's not being used as this great wrestler. He's being used as a guy to get over a future wrestler, sure. but that's nitpicking. And I, he's, you know, This uh, is what you're supposed to be doing with veterans like that and sure. legends, you know, using them to, to build up and, you know, Don Dominic finally got physical here in a ring. I, you know, didn't obviously didn't obviously hang very well with Brock Lesnar because he got his ass kicked and hauled out on a stretcher. Um, but you know, it was, he took the bumps, uh, took a, took that uh, took that stuff on the outside that looked pretty gnarly. Um, yeah. I thought it was a great way to introduce Dominic into this whole storyline. Well, and I think that's the flip side of this, too, is this was a solid segment. Even if you take out the Cain Velasquez tease, I like what they did here. It was a little bit over the top, a little bit crazy, but Brock seemed intense. He seemed fired up. Um, Rey Mysterio uh, plays the babyface so well, so we felt very sympathetic towards him. And his son took a ton, a ton, a ton of, uh, of bumps and a really brutal beating there. And he looked good doing it, too, right? Like, he took those the right way. And Brock throwing somebody around, I mean, it looks like he just get tossed around, right? You still got to take it the right way to be protected. And so I liked all of that that came across super well on TV. Um, Lesnar needs an opponent. I know he might tear through Kofi Kingston on Friday, but he needs an opponent. I I'm hoping Kofi goes a distance with him, right? Yeah. But he needs an opponent that he can follow up this with. And, and Kane Velasquez first, Brock Lesnar possibly for the WWE title on SmackDown, that's a headline feud awesome. possibly going into Mania season next that's year. That's such a kick-ass, such a kick-ass idea. So uh, we can only hope. Um, well, over here to NXT. Uh, NXT on USA's second episode last week drew 1.006 million viewers on the USA Network. So thank you to the 60,000 extra people that put them just over the million viewer mark. This was still down uh, about 15% from last week's uh, premiere, which drew 1.179 
Um, number four on cable's top 150, number 19 in viewership, still very respectable numbers here. And I'm sure they're going to see a pop this week now with the huge Wednesday night war coming along, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and, and goes down a little bit this week. They got a title match. You know, this week is the first official week. I do think it, AEW is going to impact a little bit though. Let's just be clear. Uh, well, on the note of this week, uh, Matt Camp, WWE's newest on-screen talent, uh, released his weekly, what I guess is now going to be a weekly NXT injury report. Uh, NXT champion Adam Cole suffered a fracture on the right on his right arm during his run-in with number one contender Matt Riddle on last uh, week's show. It was noted that he was sent to the emergency room after the attack. Cole is scheduled to defend the title against Riddle on next week's show. The Observer reporting here that Adam Cole was originally scheduled to wrestle on the current NXT Road Trip Live event in the Midwest. He's been wearing a cast on his right wrist at times. He did do an in-ring angle last week, but he did not wrestle a match last Thursday or Friday at the NXT Live events. So it looks like he could be legitimately injured here, but it does sound like he's still going to fight Matt Riddle one way or another here on Wednesday if he's still getting physical. Um, but yeah, but, but the injury is legit, but it's not actually a right arm injury. It sounds like it's a wrist injury, wrist injury. Yeah. And you know, look, I, I, I think Matt Riddle will be the, the, the champion NXT, uh, needs and should have at this moment here. And if that gives Adam Cole a little time to go back and rest up, whatever injury he's dealing with and come back at a hundred percent and back into the main event title picture, I'm all for it. But I, I really would like to see that title go to Riddle this Wednesday. It's a new era, baby. I mean, and, and Riddle's a guy I think could do a lot for that promotion. Everybody's been a lot already. Riddle adds a different element in there, and it's going to be interesting to see challengers come at him. It's a totally different dynamic. Uh, Raul Mendez, also from NXT on their injury report, Raul Mendez suffered a fractured rib during his loss to Cameron Grimes. He was sent in for x-rays and further evaluation. His status is questionable. Dominic Djokovic suffered a cervical strain in his loss to Keith Lee. He was told to rest. His status is day-to-day. And Kushida suffered a left wrist injury during the six-man win over oh, – six-man win – with Brazango over Imperium, he was sent for X days and further evaluation. So I don't know. I mean, the cool thing sounds legit. I don't know about the rest of this stuff, but great way to make the NXT product feel like a sport. I think his injury reports are really, really cool. Nice, nice little addition uh, to these post shows. Uh, yep. <clears throat> the Observer reporting 205 Live's move to Friday nights may not be a permanent change. Several ideas they say are being thrown around, including possibly ending 205 Live altogether. Right now, the NXT creative team is scripting 205 Live. Triple H is overseeing it. It's said to be his show. The network numbers for the show haven't done well in a long time, Meltzer saying, but it was speculated that it would be more cost-effective for WWE to sell an hour of post-Smackdown programming to FS1 or some other network than to tape 205 Live for the network each week. Um, I, I like I'll be a broken record here. I don't like 205 Live the name because I think the weight limit thing is weird. And when you explain it to people, they're like, hmm, I don't know. Um, so I think a name change using a similar cast of characters moving to TV, if you can make more money, I'm all for it. I think that uh, 205 Live is, has done what it done. It was a launching pad for a lot of guys, but I, I don't know. I think it's burned. That's my yeah, opinion. those guys. I mean, I think those guys find a home on NXT for the most part now, right? I don't yeah. think it needs to be or about the, size or the main roster. Look at Ali; he came out of there, right? So, or Tony yeah, Nese. but but it's a different style though. And, and I agree with you; those guys should find a home Cedric. on the main roster, right? Yeah. But the style of wrestling is still a little bit different down there in NXT, and I think it relates to these guys from Two or Five. Five live a little bit better. Uh, well, we here at Wrestling Inc. We had an exclusive here in the past five days. The Usos are going to be returning to WWE TV on Friday's episode of SmackDown on Fox. So a big tag team return there from the Usos. I hope everything is right with them. Naomi also gave a status update over the the weekend, saying that she's dealing with some things. She'll be back here soon. So I hope everybody's good in the hood. It's great, and they're fine, and we can have a nice smooth return of the Usos to WWE TV, because they are very talented, and I don't like negative stories about them, which we've had a few of, right? <laughs> the new, well, just what happens, right? It's the news. Yeah. <laughs> Love uh, these guys, though. Let's bring back the orange shirts. Those are the best. 
PWInsider.com also reporting Paige is expected to return to WWE TV soon. There's no word yet on what WWE has planned for Paige or if she will continue to manage the Kabuki Warriors. She's expected to be at Fox uh, SmackDown's Fox premiere in L.A. on Friday night, which would also be SmackDown's 20th anniversary premiere. Um, yeah, I don't. I would hope they find another thing for her to do. Her with the Kabuki Warriors is very weird pairing for me. Very odd. Yeah, she doesn't really do a whole lot. I mean, I think she's a great. She could. She's great on the mic. She was great in her GM role. Can we do something else like that? Or even, I mean, talk about putting her in the broadcast booth. That could be interesting. Maybe sure. a backstage interview. Sure. I don't know. She was good as the manager. Good as the GM. I wouldn't hate her in that role either. Um, uh, Rusty Observer reporting Elias could return to WWE action in late October. Uh, he did start a feud with Gable on last week's SmackDown, but it looks like they're going to hold off until getting physical until Elias is cleared. But very, very soon. I could see Elias winding up on one of those Team Flair, Team Hogan teams as well. Either side. Yeah. I don't really know. He needs something. He's just been away for too long with without much to do, I think. Well, John Morrison has taken to Twitter to comment on the recent report that he has re-signed with WWE. He said, thanks he- thanks for the heads up, PWInsider.com. Please let me know when I'm signed with AEW or ROH. So uh, throw a little smoke <laughs> on the rumor, I guess, that he's coming back. Do we expect him to confirm it? I mean, really. Yeah, whatever. He'll, he'll probably pop up. Maybe, maybe on one of the teams for Crown Jewel. Who knows? Um, the Observer reporting an update on the Dolph Ziggler-Goldberg pull-apart that took place back on Friday, September 20th. Ziggler-Goldberg shot the angle while they were both at the birthday dinner party for porn star and director Kendra Lust at the Adiamo Italian Steakhouse in downtown Vegas. By the way, Steakhouse is the new backdrop for everything pro wrestling. <laughs> Especially AEW. <laughs> Dolph Ziggler was reportedly at a table with Kendra Lust and others when Goldberg arrived. The two exchanged words, and then they got physical for the pull-apart. There are currently no plans to do anything with the Vegas altercation on WWE TV and no plans to resume, resume the Goldberg versus Ziggler feud. Uh, it is interesting that they even shot the angle because there's no point to doing another Goldberg versus Ziggler match after SummerSlam. But this could be a, te- a case of both guys shooting their own angle for publicity. It's possible we could see Goldberg use more on WWE TV after Friday. While Fox officials might want the former world champion on the uh, SmackDown brand, it was noted that Raw executive director Paul Heyman, he wants Goldberg to be used as an occasional character. Uh, he's been wanting him to use it as an occasional character for some time. The idea would see Goldberg come in, destroy people every now and then, as the older legend seems to be sim- uh, similar to the role that WWE Hall of Famer Bruno San Martino played during the late 70s and early 80s. Uh, with his title reign, uh, similar to the WWE Hall of Famer Bob Backlund. The long-term idea would see Goldberg work that role for several years, and then Brock Lesnar would take over that role for Goldberg. So um, really two different things here, right? The the pull apart with Ziggler and Goldberg, which seems like a highway to nowhere, and then the idea that Goldberg could become this occasional big-name persona. There you go. There you go. I mean, it's just a weird, weird thing for Goldberg to do, right? I mean, I get it. You get a spike from that, but I think fans will eventually become bored with it. Yeah. Ziggler, though, Goldberg, not surprising. We said last week, where's this going? This doesn't have a purpose here, but I can totally see them just wanting to screw around. And have, I mean, these guys just want to have fun sometimes, you know? Yeah. Um, well, uh, talking about having fun, um, I, I we are a little short. We're a little tight on time, so I'm not going to go through word by word the entire saga <laughs> of Seth Rollins' Twitter account here. But needless to say, Seth tweeted out uh, before the match with Ray on Raw that he was really looking forward to the match. Sasha mocked him saying that she was very excited about her match with Alexa Bliss. Seth then shot back at Sasha. This is a match I've been looking forward to as much as every other match you've ever had, a.k.a. not at all. Lucky for me, you'll under-deliver like you always do and continue to wonder why you're not in more main events. A stiff shot from Rollins off the bow. 
Rollins' account was then either deactivated or deleted, and uh, fans saw the following message at WWE Rollins. This account does not exist. Try searching for another. But lo and behold, Sunday morning, Seth Rollins returned to Twitter, tweeting out, I love football. God, he's a good guy. Man, he's just so American, loving football, standing up for his company, being the face of WWE. God, that Rollins is a nice guy. Guy. Uh, I feel like there's like the WWE lifers that are ragging on the guy that now the people that were like on the fence when the AEW news broke, are they going to come? Are they going to stay? Rollins is just now, I think he's just, who knows? Just What's so funny for Rollins because there for so long, Rollins was the guy that felt like he was the face of the company in spite of himself. And you're like, at any second, this dude could just go off on the company and about being this corporate dude. And now it's totally where he's comfortable, you know, and a guy like Dean Ambrose went somewhere else kind of because he couldn't be comfortable in that role. And it's interesting. I'm glad Rollins is happy there. Um, and I'm glad he's the face of that company. He works so hard for it. But yeah, just sometimes he's a little too earnest for <laughs> for me. Uh, well, uh, flip it over here to some AEW news. Uh, Sports Illustrated reporting that Jack Swagger has a talks with AEW and is now a potential surprise for Wednesday's Dynamite premiere uh, in Washington, D.C. Uh, Jack would be a great addition to this roster. He's very talented. Uh, but, you know, I don't know what Dutch Mantel's deal is either, and I wonder if they couldn't get the two of them together to reform the band under maybe slightly different name, but, you know, use that gimmick if that makes sense. Sure, and, and I think Jack, incredible athlete, uh, former world champion in WWE, but when he was with Dutch Mantel and he had that mouthpiece, I think it supports him, and it's an area, I'm not going to say of weakness, but him and Dutch had a, a certain dynamic that really put Jack Swagger up to the next level, I think. And, and with the love of the kind of retro WCW stuff, I wonder if just calling him Dutch Mantel would probably resonate more. Like, he's not Zeb, yep. it's just Jack Swagger with Dutch Mantel, kind of yep. like uh, Ty Dillinger has uh, Tully Blanchard. I could, I could see that, you know. Um, Cody posted a video uh, on Instagram showing off two new weight belts, the first with the word Nightmare on it, the second with AEW on TNT, and then Rhodes on the side. Now, Cody has not commented on this yet, but he's about to do a media call. It'd be awesome if somebody asked him about this. Maybe I do. Who knows? Cody (laughs) Cody hasn't commented on this yet. But the stay tuned, y'all. <laughs> right? Hey, great tease. I don't even know the answer. Uh, the indication is that he may be able to use the Rhodes name again on TV. In a 2017 interview with Sports Illustrated, Cody confirmed the, that he has not been able to use the Rhodes name, stating that it is indeed an intellectual property issue, but he vowed to get the name back. So, you know, who knows? I guess it's like we don't need a pundit about it. I'm going to have the man on the record here just a little bit. That's right. Let's see what. Let's go to the source, as the journalists like to do. Maybe I ask the question. Maybe somebody else does. I don't know. We'll find out. <laughs> Uh, Chris Jericho, AEW world champion, took a shot at Walter on Twitter. He said, I'm just going to leave this here. Walter equals worst wrestling name ever. Hashtag just saying. Because Chris Jericho is a great name? What? <laughs> I mean, I'm not taking shots at the guy who's like a living legend right now, but for real, like, be petty, I guess, if you want to be petty, Chris Jericho. Huh? Yeah, a little Go. bit of the bubbly goes a long way when deciding what to tweet out, you know? Um, this, is, right. this is where we are in pro wrestling Twitter here in 2019. No, your name sucks. Your no, name's... you like your wrestling too much. But your, it's... your name sucks. Uh, all right. I like to... football. No, you don't. <laughs> so uh, uh, we'll wrap up here with an ROH block. ROH had their death before Dishonor this past Friday night. Roosh defeated Matt Taven to become the ROH World Heavyweight Champion. Uh, CMLL has announced the release of Dragon Lee and Roosh due to not following programming and company guidelines. Although the exact reason was not given, it was reported one reason could be because Lee was told not to work the Pro Wrestling Gorilla Battle of Los Angeles, but he did anyway. CMLL owns the trademarks for both Roosh and Dragon Lee, so it would appear those names 
could probably will be changing in ROH. Uh, Roosh is already booked for chaos and the crash events under the name El Toro Blanco. ROH and CMLL, by the way, at this moment, to the best of my knowledge, currently have a working relationship. And before ROH's Death Before Dishonor fallout started, which was the follow-up TV taping, ROH announced that uh, ROH world champion Roosh was not medically cleared to wrestle. Uh, The nature of the injury was not specified. Bendito was also not medically cleared. Um, And uh, as a follow-up on on Matt Taven, the former champion here, it was announced at ROH's Death Before Dishonor fallout, that follow-up TV taping, that he would be staying with Ring of Honor. His contract was set to expire on October 1st, but the Observer reporting Taven's contract starts out at double the highest paid wrestler in NXT and could be wind up being about triple by the end of it. WWE was reportedly interested in Taven, but the difference between the two deals was quote-unquote ridiculous. So a title change here. Interesting because, again, it's not like Taven had to drop the title because he's leaving. Taven is very much sticking around here. The decision to go with Roosh, or who we may know as current world heavyweight champion of ROH here pretty soon, El Toro Blanco, um... It's just weird. The whole CMLL, the whole legitimate backstage stuff, I don't know. Very odd. I, I, I mean, I get it. People have not been high on the Taven thing. Roosh is great. I just don't know if Roosh is going to – I don't know. I, I don't know that enough North American fans are familiar with him to move the needle any more or less than Matt Taven, I guess is what I'm saying. 100% agree with that. And I think also it's at a weird – it's a weird time to be persnickety about all of this stuff um, because, again, if you're not AW or WWE right now or even Impact, I'll give them some credence here, and you, you guys – you're clamoring for talent out there. And, yes, Ring of Honor can develop talent, and, yes, these – you know, CMML uh, – yeah, they can they can find their own talent base, but these organizations need to work together better than this because they're fighting literal giants that are bankrolled by big money guys. And I, I think that's – um. Yeah, it's just a, it's tough, and I think you're right. It does not move the needle. But Matt Taven, I mean, I, I don't even know what to make of this. It's such a weird story. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. the Jim Johnson story, though. Now there's a story for here, here you. Here we go. Let's wrap up the news, right? <laughs> a man who is uh, currently in the ROH number one contender title tournament, PCO. He debuted his new theme song, "A Death Before Dishonor." Uh, it was written and composed by former WWE composer Jim Johnston. Uh, the song is called "Shocker." And uh, have you had a chance to check out Jim Johnston's Shocker? Yes, yes. Pretty cool. I like it. You know, this is you talk about moving the needle here. Jim Johnston's the guy who can move the needle. Now, surprise, Jim Johnston's still creating theme music out there whenever an artist at the peak of his game back in 1998 created the theme song for Survivor Series, Deadly Games. And after that, it seems like you would just hang up the boots and retire. Yeah, and it was interesting, too, if you watched Death Before Dishonor when PCO's coming out, Rick Abani is, like, making... Uh, like a huge uh, deal about this song, everything. And Caprice Coleman's like, "Dude, shut up! We can't hear this song because you're talking." I just want to give, yeah. want to give Coleman props for that because I was sitting there thinking to myself, I was like, "Wow, you really put over the song." I wish I could hear it. Just ribbing you a little bit there, Cabani. Ian, great guy. Yeah, that's uh, good stuff. Now, like it. Johnson's <laughs> a good Johnson. Johnson is an old school composer, but he's a good composer. I guess at this time, we'll soon be seen every Wednesday night on TNT as part of AEW Dynamite. It is the bad boy, Joey Janela. Joey, thank you very much for taking the time. Dynamite! Um, Well, uh, before we get to Dynamite, uh, you're going to be taking a stop here Monday night, GCW's Curtain Call. Um, What has GCW meant to you in your career, Joey? Oh, man. Well... You know, brought to each other. Um, you know, uh, I've been there since the beginning. You know, I took a lot of risks for them. Um, and uh, we watched each other grow to be 
um, responsible adults. Well, there are at least responsible adults, me not so much, but still, you know, it means a lot to me to um, still do these GCW shows and, you know, watch them sell out shows all over the country. So it means a lot. Yeah. Yeah, well, this is the curtain call, um, but uh, are you still going to be allowed to do Joey Janela's spring break each year? Is that is that going to be something that still happens? Yeah, spring break, and then we'll see from there maybe a few other things. But right now, just spring break, and uh, right now I'm really looking forward to uh, letting my body rest. You know, I've been I've been going pretty hard this summer, so uh, looking forward to that and having some weekends off and stuff and. Uh, you know, just looking forward to TV and uh, all the fame that comes with it. You know. Yeah, definitely. You're you are you're already kind of famous. You're already famous, right? But now you're gonna be like really yeah. you're gonna be like really famous now. You know. Yeah, yeah, like really famous. Like I don't have to pay for a uh, drink. Famous, I guess. No, I still probably will, but yeah, you know, yeah. you know the deal. Yeah. What is what's like the one thing that you really would like? Yeah, with your fame, what are you looking? What's the one thing you're really looking forward to? That is there a thing? Just uh, you know, dates, you know, mm-hmm. pasta dinners, mm-hmm. you know, rigatoni fucking uh, rendezvous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Well, back to GCW here. Um. Talk to me about Brett Lauderdale. Um. What's it like working with Brett? What kind of a guy is Brett? Brett, he's very, very uh smart dude he knows how to strike when the iron's hot and uh is that the saying strike when the iron's hot is that what the saying is yes that's it that's correct all right good i just want to make sure but he definitely he definitely knows what he's doing and um you know a lot of his shows are very different types of professional wrestling shows he does this he has a nick gage invitational which started it all and uh the Zandig Tournament Survival, which I always think it's just GCW Tournament Survival because Zandig is missing in action. But then there's the Spring Break and then Bloodsport. And this year there was the Orange Cassidy um, brunch show. And I'm sure there'll be many other themed shows after very charismatic individuals. But uh, Brett's, Brett's great. Um, with um, just uh, putting these together and um, getting the buzz flowing. Yeah, and you know, when I think of, you know, really creative promoters right now that are not in WWE, AEW, like, Brett's always one of the first people that comes to my mind because of all the stuff you just listed. I mean, with a mind like his, would you like to see Brett working with with you in AEW in some capacity? Ah, I, w- I, would, I would like that. You know, I would like, you know, we've, with AEW, you know, a lot of, the talent that they've been signing have actually, you know, have gotten a lot of buzz from GCW. So I hope in something sometime in the future we can maybe work something out. But for right now, it's just AEW is trying to get their footing. They have bigger things to worry about, you know. Um, and uh, I hope one day we can work work something out. Yeah, be great. I mean, AEW, GCW, you guys are the outlaws right now. Of course, it'd be nice to see you guys. Staying friendly, but uh, you, Marco, Jungle Boy, you're all going to AEW. Uh, who do you think is going to be the ones to fill that void uh, that you guys are leaving behind? Well, we're already they're already establishing guys, the Alexanes and uh, 
like Christians, like uh, Effie, of course, and Chris Dickinson now is uh, they're putting him on more shows and uh, yeah, I think it's gonna be fine. I don't think it will will be an issue for GCW to uh, recoup from uh, all this uh, signage, but uh, yeah, it's just uh, I think those guys are gonna step up to the plate and uh, especially Tony Deppin, who's probably the b- biggest workhorse right now in uh, the independence of 2019. So I think, uh, you know, I think they'll be all right. Now, I'm actually going to be releasing an interview with Effie on this same episode. It'll be you, and then Effie's going to be – people are going to be able to hear from Effie here in just a couple minutes. What do you uh, What do you think of Effie? Uh, I think he's great. I think he's very charismatic. And, um, you know, I think he um, – yeah, I think you hang with the best of them, and he's going to prove that in this, this on the future uh, GCW shows. Uh, he already had a match on um, All Out Weekend with Nick Gage that got rave reviews, and he stepped out of his element for that. So I think um, he's going to be one of these guys to get better and better when by uh, just uh, – wrestling all these guys all these different types of uh wrestlers at gcw yeah you know and you bring up nick gage there uh, it's with everything everybody moving around right now nick gage is like the standard barrier of gcw and has been for years now um why don't you think gage is getting a looked or, or picked up by an AEW or wwe i have no idea i i, I said this the other day that uh, i think he should be he kind of deserves to be uh side somewhere from uh all he's been through and uh you know it's just uh, such a story it's like you know he was um an addict and then unfortunately he let his demons get the best of him and he robbed the bank and then he went to jail and then came out the hottest wrestler uh, on the indies but then had to go back to jail because he broke probation and get back out of jail and to uh, engage all these fans still um, all these people that still believe them and not only that grow a bigger fan base and just work every weekend three times a weekend and maybe more and just uh, prove that he's one of the best in the indies I think it's just a, it's a it's a great story I don't think I think a lot of people shy away from him because the whole situation with the bank but when you think about it, it's uh, he, uh, it's it's a story, you know, it's a story to be told. That um, you know, this man is a rehab man now, and he's doing what he loves, and he's one of the most popular guys in uh, the world of wrestling. A hundred percent. And knowing Gage like you do, do you think that he is in a different place now and could be reliable if given an opportunity in a big promotion like that? Oh, he's definitely been a different person for the last couple of years. There's no doubt about that. You know, uh, it's uh, he's definitely uh, devoted his life now to professional wrestling and his fans, and uh, he's definitely a changed man. I knew him before he went in, and know him now, and it's completely two different people. And uh, you know, he's definitely uh, gonna leave a mark on the Indies if he doesn't make it to the next level, or which I think he should have a run somewhere. Yeah. I think he already left his mark. Um, and uh, just kind of, kind of put a button here. Well, I'm going to ask you a couple of things about AEW here in just a second, but to kind of put a button on GCW, you know, 
What what do you think other independent promotions out there can learn from the success that GCW has had and, and the growth that it's had? Just think outside the box and try not to emulate other people. You know, um, GCW, I know a lot of people compare them to uh, old CCW when they first started, but they completely surpassed that, I think, now at this point. Um, and they're going to keep on uh, being their own thing. Um, you know, I, did, I just think, think outside the box and uh, don't stick to a formula. I, did, I say that to wrestlers, I say that to promoters, bookers, whatever. The formula is not the way to go in 2019 because the formula is, you know, it's been done. And uh, you got to think outside the box. All right. Well, let's uh, let's jump to AEW here. So, with AEW, are you uh, are you a superstar? Are you a wrestler? What are you guys called? Talent? What do you have a list of terms? I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know. What are you guys? Um, oh, um, I, I don't know. All stars, no. All lead stars, no. Oh, oh, that's good. That's different. All stars are good. All uh, stars. No, I have no idea what we're called. I think we're called professional wrestlers, to be honest. Okay, cool. All right, that's good. That's an answer. Now, that's. I guess what I'm getting at is, do you, have have you had, have you been told like there's terms? Is there like verbiage and stuff that that they want you using or not using when talking about the product? I haven't been told anything. I'm surprised I've gotten away with as much as I said so far, with being signed to the company and uh, having gotten in trouble. So. Yeah. That's always a good sign. Yeah, yeah. But, but I don't know these TV executives. They might be a little, a little weird. I don't know. Okay. But uh, you know, they, we'll see what happens. But uh, I think it's gonna be awesome. Yeah. No. And but you, there's no, like, there's no dictionary. There's no like Vince McMahon dictionary of things to say and whatnot. I think it could change. Who knows? But I don't think there will be. I think it's good they're going for a more sports-centric uh, appeal. Um, like mixed martial arts, so I think it's going to be. Uh, I think um, it'll be a more wrestling. Yeah, and you've uh, you've done some crazy wrestling. Of course, the Moxley match was off the charts. Uh, you, Darby, and Jimmy really blew it out of the water as well. Uh, have they have Has there been anything that you wanted to do that you haven't that, that you've been told you can't do quite yet? I just want to wrestle. I don't really want to do these car crash matches anymore, to be honest. Yeah. I've proved on the indies throughout the years. Ever since I got started, I am a great wrestler. I wrestled every top independent talent that's come through in the last three years, and I wrestled guys from the past that made them look great. And I, I just want to take that next step and show people these new fans that are coming in that Jim Cornette, you know, has uh, uh, basically described me as some kind of mud show outlaw goofball backyard wrestler which isn't the case and a lot of this a lot of the independent wrestling fans know that's not the case it's time to do that on a larger mainstream scale and turn a lot of those fans to uh to like me um i did the same thing on the indies when i got thrown off the roof a lot of people were like who was this who's this backyard guy getting thrown off buildings and then i've gotten them to buy my t-shirts in the later years but i think uh doing this on a mainstream level is a big goal of mine and making the people believe that I'm multifaceted professional wrestler who can do it all and who can captivate any audience. And uh, I feel like to an extent I've already done that in AEW. I've already gotten a lot of people talking and uh, about Joey Janela, even though it's polarizing 
as I am right now. I think it's, um, I think I can uh, turn a lot of those people and, uh, you know, I can have a good career uh, in this business this, with AEW. That's really interesting to hear you say that, Joey, because I know that like an interview we did a couple months ago, you talked about how uh, you were looking to think, you know, maybe bring deathmatch wrestling more mainstream. Are you saying that uh, we'll see you pull back on that stuff, maybe a little bit more in favor of you know, more traditional wrestling style? Yeah, yeah, I, I think I did. I did a little bit of deathmatch wrestling back to the mainstream. You know what I'm saying? I, I did the match with Moxie, with the barbed wire. I don't know when barbed wire has been used on a pay-per-view like that. Real barbed wire, not trimmed, cut barbed wire and and thumbtack spots like that have been done on a uh, large scale in a very long time so i think i've accomplished that already okay and so, now that i accomplished that i want to show people that i'm i can do a lot and um i can hang out i can hang out in the ring with anybody and i think um uh, i'm gonna get an opportunity to do that and uh yeah i think uh mainstream deathmatch wrestling is will be a thing. Uh, Jimmy Havoc, you know, he's not going to shy away from that at all. That's his style. Um, and, uh, you know, to an extent, some some people think that's my style as well, but I also know that when it comes down to wrestling, any person of any style, I, I can get it done. Yeah, you well, you've definitely been worse. I mean, you're trimmer now than you've been. That's not any secret. You know, you look like you're in better shape. You know, you've been taking this pretty seriously, getting ready for, for TV. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, I've, I've been in better shape, but just, uh, you know, that's just uh, cutting down on beer and stuff, and, uh, you know, that always is uh, uh, the cutting down on the cars from uh, beer is always uh, will slim you down, but now I'm taking it to a next level and uh, eating healthier. I just started dieting again, and, uh, you know, I think I'm going to show up on TV and uh, surprise a lot of people in the first couple months that um the shape I can get in pretty fast. Yeah. You cut out beer and you, you, you picked up some other cocktail beverage. I'm struggling to think of what is it? Um, white claws, the white claws. Oh, that's right. My girlfriend's favorite drink. Um, like the white, you love white claw. You're like a big fan of this. Yeah, stuff. I haven't really been recently. I haven't really even drinking those. I just drinking vodka. Okay. Well. <laughs> but try to cut down the drinking all together because drinking causes nothing, but headaches and <laughs> issues and uh yeah I, the other day i went out for a friend's birthday the night before the third day of uh, bola and i was like i was very hungover i was like i can't do this anymore <laughs> doing this for too long now but it's never it's never ruined my performances in the ring or never you know most of like I, I always said and always admitted to you that I wrestle a lot of my matches, hung over a lot of my best wrestling matches. But you know, getting older now, so we gotta watch ourselves and you know, maybe take up a new hobby like um, tennis. Mm, tennis is good. Archery is a lot of fun. Yeah. Throwing axes. Archery. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Have you done axe throwing? No, I, I, I haven't done that. I'd be miserable, terrible at that. I'm an uncoordinated human. Um, I'm the. I don't think I'd be good at that. I don't know. We could try. Maybe I'll try it on one of my uh, nice dates. I'm going to get from being famous on TV soon. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, then you can pay the rental fee. We'll go throw axes, and you, the, the, it's all on you. It's all on me always. always. 
<laughs> do you, uh, you know, real quickly on White Claw, because I don't have it on my run sheet here. Do you feel single? Do you feel like you single handedly are responsible for the White Claw craze that has taken over America? In wrestling, yes, but I also in, I was also at the same time, uh, Max Yoda, who is, um, he works for Thrasher. He's Darby Allen's video guy. I hang out with those guys a lot. Uh, he was, we were talking about it and all the, um, the memes that were spreading across the skate community uh, around the same time. So in wrestling, yes, but uh, it's been a thing in Jersey for five years. Like people, girls been drinking white clothes in the Jersey Shore for five years or so. I don't know if it's five years, but maybe a few summers, but yeah, I think uh, in wrestling, sure, sure, definitely. The shirt I came out with is the best-selling shirt in the history of my life. But uh, I think, um, I think at the same time, I just think it exploded. But uh, they apparently people with contact the White Claw about giving me some kind of sponsorship, and they said wrestling and White Claw don't go hand in hand. So what? Wow! That's the end of that. Wow! Wow! That's, that's dumb. The hopes and dreams have been thrown out the window. All right. Um, well, you did have like a dream match here. Of course, you and John Moxley. I wanted to get back to that real quick. What was it like working with Mox in this in this? Oh, he's, oh he's the best. I only met him briefly in 2009 when I was training at CCW, but uh, he um, he's an awesome dude, and uh, obviously trusted him. Trusted in me to pull off that match, and I tell a lot of people that match right there. You could have put that on any card in the world, the, the WrestleManias, the Wrestle Kingdoms, and it would have held up to that standard and people would have been talking about it for years to come. Uh, that's how, I think that's how good that match was and uh, how much of a spectacle it was that you could have put it on any card in the world and people would have been talking about it for years, any large-scale professional wrestling card. Um, so. You've had a lot of big, you've taken a lot of big jumps in your life, but that was a big jump off the ladder to him onto the table outside. What was that moment like when you're midair and you, you're feeling that kind of energy yeah. in that moment? No, it was awesome. Yes, it was awesome. It was a perfect elbow drop. And, uh, man, it, it's, it's a good picture. It's a good video. You know, and they're using the commercials and maybe billboards soon and stuff. I don't know. It's like, who knows? You know, that's a, that picture is great. You know, so it's uh, it's really awesome to have a like that first like big visual moment at uh, AEW and one that they'll probably use for a long time. You know, uh, that's how that's how wrestling works. You know, you have that big that the picture could have come out more perfect, but it was a, it was a great moment for me and. Uh, you know, a lot of those fans will remember that forever. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's dude. What was the deal with your gear? Got put up in New York or something like that? Like you're like historical now. Yeah, they they contacted me um, to put my. They actually at first they wanted my Rivera jacket. Uh, I just got. They wanted to put it up in Grand Central, and I was like, ah, I don't know. I don't. Okay, I don't want so like a Hulk or Cornette member to come around Grand Central and throw like Peter style up uh, a bucket of paint on my uh, Ribera jacket. Is it that so, bad? Uh, Is it that bad with the Cornette people? Were you? Yeah, it's pretty bad. Oh, I've gotten death threats. I've gotten death threats and stuff, and it's pretty ridiculous because it's only professional wrestling. But wow, I'm ruining what they love. But 
still be fine enough to and if UA's coming back so they can still jerk off to that. But anyways, the yeah, the, so I decided to put my gear in there from all in last year and it was a big hit apparently and uh got some plugs for the AEW T V show and that was all done by me and uh you know, got a nice paycheck from it and uh so now it was my gear in Grand Central Station and the middle of New York City, uh, next to Muhammad Ali's gloves, paintings, and robes. But I got a nice payday from it, so I think I'm pretty famous now. Man, Muhammad Ali and Joey Janela, three years ago. That's it, the same, same, built from the same cloth. Man, three years ago. Could you could you have foreseen this just even a few years ago, how quickly this has happened? No. It's wild. No, my brain is so fried. I just don't, I just, I just go with the flow. I don't know what's going on. I just feel like I'm in a matrix world that I'm just a machine and they're just putting things through wires into my brain. Hmm. I'm just all a dream. Hmm. Vivid. I feel that's like that, I, I feel like I'd see something like that in the, the best friends opening entrance video. Um, now you've had a lot of big matches. Haven't had a lot of big wins yet. Now they say in AEW wins and losses are going to matter. Are you worried that you're going to get less opportunity because you haven't picked up a lot of wins? I don't know. I haven't. They've only done three pay per views. I haven't wrestled on every week, so you can you can turn that around real fast. Okay. All right. You know. All right. Turn that around real fast, but you know, this is a big roster they're building right now. You know, mm-hmm. who knows? The pecking order is not in order yet, so who knows what can happen? But I trust in these guys, and uh, you know, I like what I hear so far, and I like what they've given me so far, and we'll see. We'll see what the TV executives think of the bad boy when I'm outside of smoking a cigarette every five minutes to the loading dock. Yeah, you gonna bring the cigarettes to TV, Joey? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. All right. It's uh, it's it's being talked about. All right. Can someone bring cigarettes back to TV in 2019? Now vaping is the heel. I would. And smoking, <laughs> smoking is kind of making a baby face turn. That's not good though, Joey. This is why I'm not I'm not in favor of you smoking on TV, especially. Oh well, no, describing... vaping is the heel right now. Everyone hates the vaping. You can't say you're babying cigarettes. That seems really wrong and evil. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Smoking's about to make a 2002 Shawn Michaels unsanctioned return. That's not good. That's really bad, Joey. I just want to say that. Come on, man. (laughs) Look, dude, I smoked for like six or seven years, and I was was, uh, getting really sick. I had to stop. It's bad, man. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. You know, it's it kind of warms our heart to see eleven year old smoking on the street corner saying, "Joey, this is for you." No, I'm just kidding. That doesn't happen. Thankfully, that's the reason we can't break smoking the TV. But that is good. Yes, but that... they're smoking. But you know, they're smoking on TV shows. But uh, there's you're going for a sports centric program. I don't know if you can have smoking on TV, but you can have it on the the uh, the YouTube shows. Say that much. Yeah, that's true. Well, you know, the internet is is much differently regulated than television, but that's a whole different conversation. You can do it on the YouTube show, so <laughs> exactly, you know, it'll always be it'll always be there for me. Great. Um. All right. Lastly, here I got it. I had to ask you. You know, you guys are heading into. Well, first of all, what do you think of the idea that there's this Wednesday night war? What do you think of that idea with with AEW and NXT? Uh, I think it is kind of it's going to be competitive. You know, it's it's. What are you going to do, man? 
What are you going to do? It's competitive. Okay. You know, um, I don't think it's a war per se yet, but uh, I watched the program a couple of weeks ago. Was it last week? Last Wednesday? Yeah, last Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. I watched the premiere, and I, I, I think uh, it was okay. You know, I'm not a. I don't watch NXT. I don't. I haven't watched NXT in two years. The first time I watched it was last week. Now, the other reasons why I wanted to watch it as well. Uh, cough, cough. Leo Rush, who was a. Uh, I wanted to see if he fucked up or not, but did great. But uh, besides that, I think it was kind of uh, kind of stale. I don't know. Okay. Their pay per views are spectacular. I think. I think uh, some of their. Uh, I think some of their. Uh, their big. Uh, Saturday shows are great. Uh, from what I see, I, I don't watch everything, but uh, I watch a little bit. I think they're great, and uh, but I think it's going to be. Uh, I think uh, it's going to be uh, it's going to be competitive, um, and I think uh, you know NXT they know what they're doing right now, and uh, but AEW they know what they're doing right now as well. So let's see what happens. Yeah, are you as a child of the '90s in the Attitude Era? Are you like, are, are you, are you trying to stay in your lane? Or are you like, oh man, how can I like be DX and like maybe mess with them a little bit? Uh, I don't, I don't know. It's, uh, you know, I was a big, big, big WWF fan in the Attitude Era, huge, and uh, you know, I would like to be that, 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 that prick, and. Uh, you know, there's a chance I could be that prick, so I'll have to watch and see. Man, there's a chance I could be that prick. If I had anything else that could have got me on the hook for NXT and, and AEW, that would have been it. Uh, Joey, I want to thank you so much for the time, man. I always enjoy chatting with you. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys get let loose here on Wednesdays, and I'm really looking forward to Curtain Call here Monday night. It's the Monday Night Wars, oh, yeah. G- GCW head-to-head yeah. with Raw. It's sold out, so fuck you, Raw. <laughs> Raw's not sold out. No. Uh, well, anything you want to plug, promote, put over here to wrap up the interview here today, Joey? Uh, if you don't know my Twitter, it's Janella Baby. I don't know if I'm blocked from the universe yet, but uh, I'm still there. I don't know. They censored me out a little bit Twitter, but you can find me on there. Curtain Calls Monday. It's sold out. Asbury, you'll have to watch on Fight TV. Um, tomorrow, uh, actually, when does this interview go out? It'll be up Tuesday, but you can plug the AIW show if you want. Uh, retro. Well, I'm fucked. I, my show's tomorrow, but yeah. it already happened, you know. I wrestled Alex Shelley already, apparently, when this comes out. Well... I've already wrestled in Seattle for Defy, so... Sure. Well, I will say... Within... Well, this is coming out Tuesday, so it's the day after current call. Yeah, well, yeah, that's the thing, is I'm going to tell everybody, because you can go back on Fight and watch the replay. Okay, you can watch the replay. It happened last night. It was an awesome show. Yes. You know, Superhuman was there. Um, oh, we had some great wrestling. I didn't. I, I, you brought him up. I didn't even ask about him. What do you think of Superhuman? What's it like being friends with Superhuman? I don't know. He's he's a wild human. <laughs> you know, actually, me and my ex ex girlfriend years ago, about five years ago, when Superhuman first started putting out videos, we're big fans. And I actually hit her up the other day to tell her that we were flying into New Jersey. After she seen the video, she seen the video. She hit me up. She said, uh, because it was Joey Janela style and uh, quite confused. But, you know, things come full circle. And this is, I am knocked out on a machine and this is the Matrix. I'm Keanu Reeves and they're just pumping shit into my brain. Now, are you so, get, are you getting the vibe that Brett and Superhuman get along? Do you think that Superhuman will become a regular part of the GCW roster? Because I feel like he, he's 
He's somebody that Brett can work with. I don't know. We're filming. Uh, we're film- we're going to see Sunday. We're filming uh, some stuff with him. Some stunts with him. Well, we filmed some stuff with him on Sunday. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> because you're putting this out late, motherfucker. <laughs> Am I live on the air? No, you are not. This is a pre-tape. Oh, okay. I wouldn't do sure. that to you. I don't know. You never know what happens these days. It's true. No, I'm here to protect. I'm here to protect and help. So. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, uh, I, I could probably use some protection, but who knows? I'll be all right. You do rankle some of the internet fans, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, uh, I was having that conversation with Brett from GCW the other day. He was like, man, he's like, you got all these gay fans. I was like, no, man, I got straight fans who want to be cool with gays. <laughs> Well, that's great. That's a good. That's a good lead in here. I don't typically just start, but this that was a fun line. Can we just start the interview? Is that okay? We can. T- we can totally start there. <laughs> All right, great. Well, let me let that's me fine. let me smarten everybody up here to what's going on. My guest at this time, the voice you just heard, one of the fastest rising stars in pro wrestling, recently went toe to toe with Nick Gage for the GCW World Championship. It's Effie. Effie, thank you very much for the time today. You're giving me flashbacks right now. I I I had to bring up the gauge match. I know I've tried I've tried to put it behind me. My mom was so mad when she saw pictures from that match, and she you know you can't really she can't really do anything about it. But she's like, "What are you doing with your life?" And I'm going, "Well, you know, I'm, I'm figuring that out." You're like, "I'm wearing my underwear and I'm rolling around in shards of glass, mom, like an adult." Yeah, you know, of course, <laughs> like an adult, right? So. That's what we do. You know, it's a day job. Well, it was a night job. It was a 2 a.m. night job. Um, well, well, you know, let's start there then, yeah, because that was a big, buzzy thing for you just here in Chicago, two-cup stuffed. Uh, why, do you think the, why do you think the fans were, like, so buzzy about this one? You know, Gage has a lot of title defenses, but your match in particular really seemed to grab people's attention. You know, I think for people that have watched me for a while, and I've been doing this about five years since I had my first match, they sort of know that, like, I easily can fit into that niche of being a comedy guy or being a funny guy or, you know, taking the laughs out of things. And you take a guy like Nick Gage, and he's all business. I mean, this guy is going to attempt to kill you. And so it was sort of that idea of, can this guy hang at that level? Can this guy uh, do these sort of deathmatch things? Can this guy handle... Uh, you know, someone with the backstory of a gauge who has physically died before and come back and still is trying to kill himself, you know? And I think the buzz behind it was sort of, there's people saying, okay, well, Effie's, Effie's the guy who beat up children and has funny matches and gay and he wears pantyhose. What's going to be the challenge there? And then I kind of put it all on the table and said, look, I said, you can make whatever assumptions you want about me. I don't care about Nick Gage. I had an employee say to me one time, he said, I've never been scared of a man. And I, I hold that true in my heart. You know, you can come try to kill me and you might, you might succeed, but I'm never going to be scared of you uh, because a man can only do so much. And, you know, I didn't win, but I, I, uh, I took it there. I went right to the, right to the edge of the, right to the edge of the cliff. Yeah. Now that's the thing is uh, it, like, again, I think you I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, people just wanted to see a different dynamic for you. You say you wanted to show you could go there with deathmatch wrestling, um, how does how do you feel like that is that it, it, do you think there's an expectation that wrestlers of this generation should do that? Do you think that that's a good thing that wrestlers feel that they need to check off their bucket list now to, to go that that length? I really think for me, and this is this is me exposing my business too much. For me, I want to experience all of it. So when I leave professional wrestling, when I 
gone through everything, I don't want to look back and go, well, I wish I had an opportunity to do that or to, or to do something different, or I didn't get to try that kind of match out. So really I, I take everything that's thrown at me and I don't really uh, discriminate. And so, you know, deathmatch wrestling to me is as valid a type of wrestling as any other type. And I want to get that under my belt and have a, a, a chance to say, look, you know, I gave that a shot and I gave it my best. It might not have been my thing, but if you booked Effie and that's where he ended up, he would have been just fine. You know, any situation you end up booking me in, I want to be able to fill that role and also be able to look back and say, okay, well, I gave all the styles of wrestling a try. Um, you know, I had a match with Sugar Dunkerton a few weeks before that where right. it was almost exclusively British chain wrestling. And to go from a match like that to being able to switch into a whole different, you know, style of match, a whole different expectation of match is important for me personally. I think it should be important for all wrestlers, but it's important for me personally to go, okay, whatever you throw me at and whatever your expectation is for what you need out of our match as a promoter, as a fan, as another wrestler, I can meet that expectation. I can do all that stuff. Okay. So with that match wrestling, uh, now forgive me, for maybe not being too informed here, but are you, have you done a lot of deathmatch wrestling in your career? You know, I've done a good bit of, of the no ring deathmatch stuff. I've done a lot of like, as they call it, party hardcore kind of stuff. Sure. I've been known to take some cigarette burns to the chest or Gross. some, you know, table, things like that. Basic <laughs> stuff. Um, I found myself this year, WrestleMania week within the span of a week, I had a no ring deathmatch with Slack. I had a no ring deathmatch with Casanova Valentine. And I was in the cluster fudge. Are we cursing here? Can we say that? You can say whatever you like. It's fine. All right. I was in the cluster fuck match at spring break, and Necro Butcher was in there. And I'm looking at it going, you know, in, in the span of a week, you can become a deathmatch legend hanging out with everybody. Um, I like the no-ring deathmatch, too, though. A lot of people say, well, that's not real wrestling. There's not a ring. There's not, you know, all this stuff. To me, putting those kind of restraints on a performance, being able to say, okay, the situation we have tonight is there is no ring. You're in this building, make it entertaining, make it fun, give the fans their money's worth and still be able to do that safely as a performer. Like those kind of constraints almost get me excited. Yeah. So I, I really like the, the deathmatch aspect of the, of the no ring scene that's kind of built up too. Well, I know we have a mutual friend, Marcus Crane. Um, mm -hmm. he, he did his Wasted Land no ring uh, show this past Monday night, and I got roped in as the ring announcer for this thing, and it was my first time attending one of these events, and it's craziness, man. You're in a tight space. There's no ring. There's all this stuff flying around. I mean, but it was a hell of a lot of fun, especially since he paired it with, like, a couple bands. Do you think that this is something – are you getting more requests for this? Do you think this is something that's going to be more commonplace in this era here, these no ring – deathmatch type shows there's the pros and cons of it and i mean for me as a performer the pros are the overhead is really low so i end up being able to make more as a performer at these shows but the negatives to that are i think if they're overdone a lot of guys are going to keep going back to the same things in the same spots and then where do you take it and i sound like an old veteran who's going well what's the next thing you do the flippy thing what's the next thing you're going to do and i just look at it and go okay where's the where's the creative limit of what we're doing here what new aspects can we bring in? What things can we take away? How can we be storytellers within these limits by not repeating ourselves over and over? Because it's really easy to just go, okay, we'll grab a tube, grab a staple gun, we'll do that. But to make that into a cohesive storytelling experience takes a little more skill. And I hope guys use a little bit of precaution in saying, well, yeah, it's no ring. We can do whatever we want. But being able to pull themselves back a little bit and go, okay, but how can we convey a proper story here and not just do the same thing a hundred times? You know, one of the questions I, I, I ask myself is somebody sit as a fly on the wall watching you all do this insanity is, you know, little thing like how important is blood testing to you when it comes to these type matches? Is that a question that comes up? 
For sure. Um, for me, it probably should be more important. For my boyfriend, it is very important, and he requires that I get tested all the time. But that's that's him personally asking me to do it. I think when you look at some of the cuts, some of the things, I mean, G-Raver had a pretty serious injury recently. Yeah. In a lot of cases, uh, the blood is probably mixing. You're probably around open wounds. There's danger to it. But there's also the expectation of, like, we're also athletes. We're probably taking care of ourselves. And these cuts are very light. Like, they make a lot of blood, but don't fool yourself. You know, there's aspirin involved. Your blood is very thin. And mostly it's pouring outward and not pouring inward. We're not injecting ourselves with each other's blood. So I think it can seem worse than it is. And when everything's all mixed together, it's probably not, you know, the most safe thing on the face of the earth. No. I take my precautions mm-hmm. um, and I make sure I'm tested all the time. But I, I don't always know for everyone else. And I've had scares before where I actually was told by a doctor at one point. He said, oh, yeah, you've got hep C. So I went and got tested a bunch of times. I never had it. I didn't have it. They read the reports wrong. So it's hard, too, to even trust the medical system when they're giving you results, you know? Oh, my God. What a nightmare. It's insanity. Dude, what a nightmare. Yeah, it adds to it. Uh, But, I mean, like, I'm a guy who wrestles in a lot of states, so I have to get blood work testing done for those anyway. So it's like between being a homosexual and being a professional wrestler who's getting licensed, I'm tested a lot. I don't know that for everybody else, you know? Yeah. Well, you talk openly, uh, you know, about being a gay wrestler, gay man, right? You know, I, as you've been doing this for the past five years, I know you. we can get to the Rise promo you cut here in just a little bit. But, I mean, has it been, have there been hurdles for you? I mean, has there been a lot of blowback for you in your rise to where you're at right now? It was weird because it was kind of uh, – there's there peaks and valleys to it because – you know, at first when I wasn't as vocal about my personal life and I was still, you know, very flamboyant, very exaggerated in the wrestling world, a lot of Southern bookers were bringing me in and not thinking, oh, well, we're bringing in a homosexual. They're just thinking we're bringing in somebody with a gimmick. And I kept my mouth shut a lot. And then as I started kind of opening my mouth and seeing that people were showing up to shows who were more like me, who were more LGBT, who were more queer and weird and strange and fun. Um, I felt more of a responsibility to be vocal about these things. And that probably cost me a little bit of booking power in the South. But then you find other places that think like you and you go, well, I didn't need those places anyway, because they were going to continue putting out stuff that was uh, not in agreement with the way I believe the world should be or the way I believe wrestling should be or, you know, how I think a crowd should react. Um, So maybe, you know, it's been a blessing. You know, I might have thought it was a curse at some point. But then, I mean, as far as locker rooms go, it's been wonderful. You know, you have your problems here and there, but for the most part, what I've found, oddly enough, is most people have more more uh, ease confiding in you about maybe they feel some way about their sexuality. Maybe they've had confusing moments, and you're sort of a safe space they can come to and say, look, hey, I'm dealing with some stuff, and hopefully I've been a blessing in that way because, you know, for a long time, there's been wrestlers who were homosexuals who never said anything about it. And it's caused problems. I mean, you got Chris Canyon who killed himself because of everything that he dealt with through his career. And he didn't have that opportunity to be an open athlete. And if we're able to help out not only the people who are coming to the shows and the fans, but like people in the locker room be okay with themselves and not feel self-hate, then that's awesome and important. And I'd like to be that person for people. Man, that's so awesome, man. And so wait, you, so you're saying that you did cut ties and promotions. You've, you've lost bookings since you've become uh, more open it, it, that that's actually happened to you yeah for sure and i think there's also the expectation of like well if we're going to bring this gay guy in better do some real gay stuff and put on a dress and wear some makeup and you know prance around a little more and when they realize that, like no i'm i'm my own entity i don't i don't belong to anyone if you don't want to use me here that's fine 
but I'm not going to go into that. They sort of shy away from using you anyway. And they go, well, we're just going to do whatever we were going to do. But you know, these are, these are Southern places. I mean, I got my start in Florida, Georgia, Alabama. So it's, it's, um, I think they're opening their eyes too now because they see that money talks and more of these fans are showing up and they want a safe environment. More of the wrestlers want a safe environment because we shouldn't be injuring ourselves or causing issues in the crowd and people shouldn't feel unsafe coming to a wrestling show. And now that there's business sense to make sure that crowds are safe, you see more people following suit, but it wasn't always financially safe to say, Hey, we're, we're an accepting crowd and we're not going to put up with that kind of stuff. Now that it is, you know, obviously things change with the times and, if it's financial pressure that makes them do it, then hey, go on ahead, make your changes. That's so crazy. No, 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 uh, no rope, barbed wire, death match. Fine, gay guy. Ugh, we need twenty years. Too let's, much. Let's wait. Yeah. Um, so for you, from your experience here, you know, it does seem like, you know, especially here in the last few years, at least on the surface, the pro wrestling community and business has become more inclusive of the LGBT community women's rights do you do you feel that do you feel like it's uh, a genuine thing or do you think that there's more lip service to it than that you know i think for the most part it is genuine i think the thing we're dealing with now is for the longest time in professional wrestling you were told what to do by the person in charge and you knew clearly who was in charge and these are the people and now it's very muddy as to who's in charge you've got indie guys who are kind of doing whatever they want and promotions are booking them because they do whatever they want You've got companies who, you know, are having to sign these exclusive deals with people to keep them, you know, make sure they're doing stuff that they want. There's a lot of creative stifling, but for the people that are actually taking the effort and bringing them in, they're seeing growth in the fan base because they're seeing people who are saying, hey, I haven't felt comfortable coming to a wrestling show in 10, 20 years, and I'm seeing this safe space and these new performers and they're people like me who are performing, who are gay athletes, who are lesbian athletes, who are transsexual athletes. There's all of this different stuff happening now where people are being brought back in the fold and the fans are genuinely happy. The companies are genuinely happy. We're, we're all working together and nobody's really fully in charge, you know, except for the people paying the money. Yeah. And, you know, talk to me a little bit about the reaction you get from the fans. I'm sure it's got to be both sides. I'm sure you're hearing from people that are saying it's so great, like you said, to see somebody I can identify with. But I would imagine you're getting a lot of negative tweets as well. Yeah, I mean, you get some stuff, and and really most of the negativity has come from like, well, you know, all right, you've talked about gay people and LGBT stuff. When are you going to be done talking about that? That's not a gimmick. That's just a thing. And it's sort of like, well, I'll stop talking about it when we stop having problems. I'll stop talking about it when trans people stop showing up murdered. I'll stop talking about it when gay people can walk down the street and not get beat up. And these are still things that happen, and a lot of times, especially in these bigger metropolitan areas, yeah, there's still issues, but for the most part, we got a pretty widely open-minded city crowd who's moved a little forward but in these smaller towns you still got this uh even beyond hate for lgbt people there's still a lot of racism there's still a lot of like jingo nationalism for people who are from other countries for people who speak other languages and you don't see that if you're only going to these big metropolitan shows so there is still a lot of work to be done but yeah, we are expecting these bigger promotions to make the first step because it makes it safe for everybody else. Do you see incremental change when you like slowly get to move into territories that were more resistant, but now are more opening now? Are you seeing like, I mean, I'm just talking like, I guess, in America in general, do you feel like pro wrestling is helping to create that incremental change? Pro wrestling has to help it. And they're realizing that now, you know, we're, I'm seeing the change all the time. And I've, I've, 
I think I've wrestled in like 20 different states now, which is awesome. And I think about that all the time, how crazy that is, that I was paid money to come to this place and wrestle for people outside of the normal. And they were entertained and we had a great time and it was a different audience in every town. Um, and when I look at kind of the incremental changes happening, it's people coming up to you in the locker room. It's queer people getting booked more. It's seeing the faces, you know, that you wouldn't expect to pop up, pop up. And that's awesome to see. And you're seeing across the country of like, okay, maybe five years ago in Alabama, I probably would have been treated like a piece of crap. And I would have been treated like a God in California. But now those smart fans with the internet are kind of everywhere who have their research, who know what's up, who are a little more uh, liberally conscious, um, a little more internet friendly. And you're getting these fans everywhere who are like, I've been following you for a while. And you're like, I've never even been here before, but we now have the reach to get to people all over the place and at least say, Hey, here's our, here's our point of view. Here's our message. If you want to be a part of this message, bring us in and let's do it. If not, that's cool, but you're going to lose out on money. And that's where you see the changes start to happen. You know, when they bring you in and it makes a real difference at the door, it might only make a few people difference at the door. They get to see that like, oh man, we've been not booking queer talent and they could have been adding to our show. Or we've been not booking black talent and they could have really been adding to our show. Um, we just have to show them every day. Yeah, and I guess that brings me here. Let's talk about the Rise promo then for a second. You know, you, it was a real call to arms, call to action for promoters here as you called them out for, you know, booking, you know, LGBTQ talent during Pride Month, but but not year round. Like in the wake of that, What's the reaction been like? Do you feel like that you you did actually jolt some promoters here and and do some good for the community? I think so. I mean, first and foremost, Rise has taken a really public stance after that show to say, look, we're going to continue booking all kinds of performers. You know, we're not we're not going to base the booking on who they are, what they believe, who they love. We're going to base the booking on putting out some of the best matches we can. And I mean, they just had a really killer, killer main event. It might not have even been the main event, but it was Priscilla Kelly versus Jake Atlas, who are, you know, Jake is an openly gay wrestler. Priscilla's dealt with a lot of controversy. They just went out there and wrestled as wrestlers. It wasn't, we weren't making a big deal about, oh, this is a big intergender match, or oh, this is a gay man and a woman. It was just, here's two really good competitors, and we're going to show you how good they are, and they're going to duke it out and see who's the best. And getting to just watch that from the perspective of not having it be a sideshow or not having it be this, you know, little silly thing. Here's the silly gay match it's really important. And you're seeing the change there. I will say this after I cut that promo, I, they were not pumped. Um, hmm. I don't think they understood exactly what I was going to do. And I went out there and I dropped names and I told truth and I said what I had to say. And then, you know, by Monday, by the time the video had gotten out and people had had a chance to sort of see what I was saying, um, the response was very different. And it was, wow, you actually had some really great points. And, I guess we did just need to give you a little bit of creative license there to say what you needed to say. And I haven't lived your experience, so I can't know that. And it would have made them a little frightened if I had told them every detail before I went out there. And they probably would have said no. But, you know, sometimes we got to grab things by the horn and do it ourselves. Man, And I trusted my gut on this when I went for it, and uh, it worked. Better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Isn't that like the... Exactly. <laughs> the mantra of pro-athlete? Yeah. I look at it this way, you know, right now, still, if there's four or more gay people booked on a show, it's a gay show. And I'd like to look away from that. You know, I don't, I don't think we need to keep categorizing ourselves. Well, he's a gay performer. He's a deathmatch performer. He's a flippy guy, or he's a hardcore guy, or, oh, that's an intergender wrestler. It's, it's a bigger picture of like, let's point out all of our differences so that we can get past it. And then we can just entertain and professionally wrestle. 
And I said to somebody in a previous interview, I said, they said, you push a lot of buttons, Effie. And I do, I push buttons on purpose because it's entertaining to me personally. Um, and they said, what are you going to do when there's no more buttons left to push? I said, I'll be done. I'll be done. I'll be finished. The, the point of Effie is to eat itself alive. If I can, if I can get to a point in wrestling where there's nothing for me to complain about or nothing for me to bring up as injustice or nothing for me to bring up as a problem, then there's no use for me. And that would be a beautiful, awesome day. And I'll go back and do a generic trunks gimmick and I'll just wrestle. But until that point, I'm going to use my platform to say, look, these guys aren't getting paid on this show. Or look, these talents are being underutilized or not booked at all. Or look, this show is only featuring white men. That's it. Yeah. Until we reach a point where I can't complain about those things, I'm going to keep being that thorn in the side. And as I told people in that promo, I'm independently wealthy. I love making money in wrestling. I don't need a dime of it. But I'm going to stand out here and put my neck out and risk the wrestling I do have to say that you don't get to treat performers like this anymore. There's too much knowledge out there. There's too many people talking. Uh, there's too many of us talking to let any of this stuff still fly. And I still know people are working shows and not getting paid. I mean, big shows. And they're getting told, well, you're getting exposure and you're getting seen by these people and you're getting seen by the Fed. And the, the consensus seems to be, well, if you're not getting paid, why are you doing it? And it's because that's the system in place now. And the people at the top know that that's the system in place now. And it's very frustrating to have to continue. And, you know, we're victim blaming performers for taking opportunities when they're the only opportunities there. When there are people who could pay these performers for putting their lives on the line without any question, and they choose not to and set that precedent. That's what's bugging me right now. Yeah, well, t- call David Starr, right? He's the one who's trying to get everybody together. Uh, me, and D- me and David have good conversations, and I, I can always tell that we're a little bit on a different page. David is very performer-focused and making sure that we are unionizing, we are getting our rights. I'm more focused right now on how do we get more people to watch wrestling? How do we get more casual fans through the door? How do we stop advertising to the same 100 fans who were here last month? How do we get more people to see how much fun wrestling is and stop gatekeeping the fanship and stop gatekeeping who's allowed to be at wrestling and who's allowed to be where and start looking at, all right, well, here's a town of 300,000 people. We drew a hundred people. Where was the rest of the town? Why didn't they know? Why weren't they here? Why don't they know about wrestling? And I think it's going to take a, a big look at ourselves and how we advertise everything to get to a better place in wrestling where we can draw people who aren't, they may not follow me on Twitter, and they might still come to the show. You know what I mean? Yeah. They just need to know what's really going on. Uh, Someone wanted to ask you, uh, what, did, what did you, uh, what do you think of the Gold Dust character? Um, just you know, that was the. I mean, you know, they say a feminine, right? But that was kind of the op- the only openly kind of gay character for a long time for wrestling fans in the mainstream. Yeah, for sure, and especially in that attitude there, it was about pushing those buttons. And I always joke that uh, Goldust for me is the anti-John Cena because John Cena is a guy that everybody would like to hang out with, but I really couldn't give a crap when he's wrestling. Goldust, I love watching him wrestle. I love his character work. I love his vignettes. I love everything he did in the ring. But God, if I have to hear an ex-drug addict talk about Jesus any longer, I, I'm done. So I look at him and I say, what an important addition to professional wrestling as a character. But I also look at, you know, recent things and, you know, no offense, I'm sure we get along fine, but there is sort of a shaming of the stuff he did and a shaming of the character he was. And well, that wasn't me. And I'm just playing a character and I'm just this instead of sitting back and saying, no, I'm fine with whatever Goldust did because that was my character and I did it to my best. And I support people who live this way, you know, instead of 
turning it around and, and shaming away from something that was important to a lot of people is still important to a lot of people and made a big change in wrestling that allowed for a lot of us to end up getting in this position 20, 30 years later. Yeah, well, and that's interesting, too, because now, you know, the man who played Goldust, Dustin, right, of course, is side-by-side side with Sonny Kiss, who I know also is a big fan of Goldust. I've, I've talked to him about it. Um, what, do you, what do you think of AEW and the kind of, you know, it seems more of a progressive agenda they're putting forward with their wrestling company, or trying to? I think it's fantastic. Uh, I also think from a person who watches professional wrestling, I watch professional wrestling with my boyfriend. I force him to watch it. And we always, I ask him questions very, because I'm in on everything, right? So I can't have an objective opinion. So I just, we play a game called cool or dweeb. And you'd be surprised the amount of times that like guys who wrestling fans would think are so cool to a casual person are just coming across as dweebs. And I think sometimes we have to take a step back and look at our roster and look at what they're doing and look at the content they're putting out and look at the way we're filming ourselves and showing ourselves to an audience right before we get on national TV and go, are we cool or are we dweebs? Not to your, not to your hundred fans or whatever the amount of fans is that are obsessed with the elite, that are obsessed with everything they do, that watch being the elite every week. We're talking about primetime TV, TNT, we know drama. Are you going to be cool or are you going to be a dweeb? And I want to see how it goes. And I wish them all the best. But I had this conversation with Sonny a few months ago. And it was, hey, Sonny, you're really, really good at a 7 to 10 minute TV match. I need you to be really, really good at an intense six-month feud that ends in a pay-per-view match that you build on weekly TV. And I know they're having the same conversation inside. And I know they're having the same conversation over there. But you got a lot of guys who are real good at a 7 to 10 minute TV match. And now we have to translate that into telling stories they get people to tune back in the next week. Not just, I saw a cool match. I love wrestling. What a cool thing. Maybe we'll tune in. But I've got to see what happens with these characters. And if people forget that that is such a big factor to television wrestling, then we're all going to be lost. But it is the biggest factor to television wrestling is the storytelling. You look at the WWE for all the complaints I have about them, for the complaints about using Saudi blood money, for the complaints about using talent incorrectly, for the complaints about using gay athletes and then throwing them to the side after the PR opportunity is done. They're really good at those pre-match videos that get you caught up on the full story that may span six to eight weeks of television. I want to see that same thing from the people at AEW. I want to see intense stories. I want to see personal connection. I want to understand these characters beyond just, man, they're really good at flips and matches and doing a cool move because it has to be more than that now when you're in this space. Well said. Uh, Effie, I want to thank you so much for the time. Before we leave, I, I got to ask you, you know, what are, you, what are your goals going forward here? Is it a, a promotion, a title, an opponent? Like, what, what's next year on your bucket list? Man, when you ask Effie about goals, he gets a little crazy. <laughs> my, my goal is, uh, is to become uh, the person who goes past wrestling fandom. I want to be the wrestler that gets you into wrestling. I want to be the wrestler who you announce him and you've got a lot of people showing up that you didn't know about. I want to be the wrestler who can get on a Tonight Show spot promoting something, promoting a show, promoting an event, without having the WWE machine behind me, without having the big cable machine behind me. We are in a time of entertainment and media where there are no rules anymore. Being on TV doesn't mean anything anymore. You have an opportunity to reach the world for free through the Internet. And I want to use that platform to make it as big as possible to bring more people to wrestling, to bring more people to Effie, and to show the world that professional wrestling is the highest art form there is. It is live, improvisational, physical combat theater. And we need people to see how much fun and excitement can be brought to their lives with pro wrestling. And I'm going to do everything I can to get it there. 
Got to get you up on an improv stage with me. I'd love to do improv with Effie. I I, oh, I, I can't I'm, bump, but I can I can do f- funny one-liners. You know, great. I I usually tell people I don't bump either. Somebody said, "Why aren't you doing this show?" And I said, "I don't bump." <laughs> it hurts, man. It hurts to do that it hurts. stuff. We're over it. It hurts. We're over it. Uh, Effie, thank you again. Is there anything you want to plug, promote, put over here before we wrap it up today? Yeah, Instagram and uh, Twitter are at Effie Lives. Uh, it used to be Kill Effie, but I didn't die, so now it's Effie Lives. Uh, and then I got a pro wrestling key store, prowrestlingkeys.com slash Effie Lives. Ton of fun designs, good stuff, no inside jokes. Howdy, everybody. Thank you for joining me today. We're, we're a day away from the biggest thing I can remember in my lifetime as a wrestling fan and as a wrestler to happen the biggest weekday just in the history of our business potentially and everybody all of the EVPs myself Matt and Nick Jackson uh, Kenny Omega and Tony Khan everybody has kind of an origins tale for how we got to this point whether it was the beginning of being the elite or was my departure from WWE and my subsequent bet with Dave Meltzer or Tony Khan's cultivation of this amazing partnership with Warner Media, but really all of them are, are contributing factors. They're combustible and contributing factors to the largest factor in the room, and that being just this fandom, this, this unserviced fandom for the last, I guess, 18 years, two decades, and a lot of you on the call are, are part of that fandom and part of just the general wrestling fandom that exists out there. So I want to thank all of you for joining me today. And I'd gladly, uh, let's get into some questions. Okay. Thank you, Cody. Um, so we're going to open up for, for questions here in, in just a minute. And our first question, um, We'll come from Gary Cassidy. Gary? Hi, Cody. It's Gary from Dropkick Discussions here, um, part of Sportskeeda Wrestling. So it was just to ask your comments. Uh, thank you for speaking with me anyway. Um, recently, Kenny Omega was interviewed by ourselves, and it caused a little bit of controversy um, speaking about the Wednesday Night Wars, and it compared it as being real stars against developmental talent. Uh, what would your comments be on that? Well, I know that, you know, my father was rather instrumental in bringing the uh, developmental brand up from, you know, the, the OVW-like situation or the FCW-like situation that I was in as a trainee and making it more of a brand. You'll never hear me uh, disparage NXT uh, there's a locker room full of my friends over there. I mean, literally, if you any of you have done the Performance Center tour, you're going to pass in front of my dad's boots. I think uh, I think Kenny was just, you know, having, having a bit of fun, and it was something much in character that's been going on with being the elite. Uh, I, I have nothing but good things to say about, about the developmental brand and their success they've had and their continued success. Thanks, Gary. Um, so now we're going to open up the line to Jonathan Snowden. Jonathan, you there?
Jonathan, can you unmute yourself? Jonathan, last call. Okay, well, we'll, we'll go with uh, Sean Radisson. Or Sean Radican, are you there, Sean? Sean, um, can you can ask your question now. Okay, we seem to be having some technical difficulties on the um, attendees. Can you part. hear me now? Yes, we can. Uh, I, I, got, I got a microphone message on my computer. So. Uh, okay, go ahead, Sean. All right, uh, Cody, uh, you've had the chance to work with some young talent in recent years, but the angles haven't really had a chance to fully develop. Like, people want to see you against Flip Gordon last year, building to all in. And you had a draw with Darby Allen that was great back in June at Fighter Fest. Uh, tomorrow on TNT at the debut uh, of the debut night, you're in the opening match against another young talent, Sammy Guevara. Um, can you talk about that match? And do you think with 52 weeks of TV, you'll have time to build regular programs with young talent and tell the, a, a different kind of story? I think of utmost importance is introducing this new cast uh bell to bell wrestling and sports-centric wrestling which we're providing is is wonderful and a huge part of what we're doing but there has to be a human connection uh, you've got to know who these folks are there's a reason i, I went out uh in between when we signed and the creation of all elite wrestling and started the road two series producing it out of atlanta was to introduce these new characters. So I think we can bring that and we can integrate that. We are going to integrate it into dynamite itself. And you mentioned uh, Darby in that draw. That's unfinished business. And Darby has made it clear he wants to go one more time. And that's something that we certainly can't just leave. That was kind of lightning in the bottle. And I absolutely uh, look forward to competing and, and being in the ring with Darby again. I will say as far as Sammy Guevara and this debut inaugural edition of Dynamite, I would like to make it clear um, that if Sammy Guevara beats me, I'm not going to full gear to wrestle Chris Jericho. By no means, Sammy Guevara will be able to take my place um, if he wins on this first episode of Dynamite in the very first match. Uh, so the stakes are high and talent, like you said, young talent, you mentioned somebody like Flip Gordon, this is, this is the time uh, for, for our Jungle Boys and Sammy Guevara's and the most talented young talent that is on the scene, whether you love him or hate him, and that, that being MJF. Wrestling often uh, plays on nostalgia. It's just part of what we do. I, I'm guilty of it 24-7 because of my last name, which I don't always get to use, but I'm, I'm guilty of it too. Um, but we have to make sure we're not we're not playing old songs. We're playing new songs. And I think, like you said, 52 weeks of television a year, I think we can do that. 
Thanks, Cody. Uh, next up, I'd like to... I'm muted. Nick, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me, guys? Hello? Hi. Hi, Cody. Yes, uh, thank you so much for taking the time today. Um, I wanted to follow up on what you just said about your last name. You did that video where uh, you showed off your weight belts, and the Rhodes name was on the side of it. Has the issues with that name been resolved? Will you be able to use it on TV? Uh, I can use it. I won't use it, though. Um, Muted. That's not everyone's favorite answer, but I got the rub off that name plenty. And the reason I don't use it is I – this is not the romantic Game of Thrones answer that everybody wants, but the reason I don't use it is because I got so used to being the American Nightmare Cody – in Japan, I love that. I love the idea of trying my damnedest to get a single name over. I got the rub off of Dusty and my family long enough. I uh, I don't mind not using it. You'll you'll see it every now and then. Some people they already know. So if it's there, it's there. And if it's not, it's not. But by no 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 means is WWE holding that that name hostage. That is not a it is not a real thing. If I was to walk out tomorrow, lower thirded as Cody Rhodes and announces Cody Rhodes, nobody's going to sue us. Nobody's coming after us. There's a lot of respect between, between the families that are involved here. So no, I, uh, I just like using my first name. Cool. Thank you very much. Thanks, Nick. Um, next I'd like to call on Sean Ross Sapp. Sean, are you there? Yes, I am. Can you hear me? I can hear you, buddy. Yes, you can. Uh, a few months back, the Young Bucks had said that if Ring of Honor or New Japan had offered them dual contracts, that there might not be an AEW, at least for them. How would that have played out for you if that were the case? Ooh. You know, like I was saying in the opening remarks, all these elements that get us here are so combustible. Maybe there wouldn't have been an AEW had they accepted dual contracts. But honestly, the timeline exists because of they didn't, and because they did start being the elite, and because I did leave WWE, and because Tony Khan, uh, as a wrestling consumer and a billionaire, wanted to actually invest in us and represent the wrestling consumer because he's a wrestling consumer. So perhaps we wouldn't have an AEW had they taken those contracts. I'm not sure. My mind around that period of time was headed toward doing double or nothing and doing a sequel to all in providing self-promoted events. That was where my mind was at. The idea of this overreaching larger company, that that idea just became more and more real as our free agency started to loom in January. But who knows? I'm glad that they didn't. No offense to any of those promotions, but it helps get us to this point here because Matt and Nick are pivotal to, to so, so much of what happens here. We all have to provide a different thing as EVPs. And I think if you watch from Double or Nothing to Fighter to Fight for, the, Fight for the Fallen to All Out, every one of us performs and competes very differently. And that's the formula that works. And I'd like to keep it that way. Thanks, Sean. Um, next in the queue, I'd like to call on Connor Casey. Connor, are you with us? Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Fantastic. Well, hey, Cody, I just wanted to ask you a question regarding a comment you made on Twitter uh, last month. You you mentioned that uh, we had only seen about 40% of the AEW roster through the first four live shows. Um, 
where does that number come from? Is that part of your guys' deal with AAA and OWE? Is that this giant oh. group of wrestlers we haven't seen yet? Like, where, where does that number come from? I'm curious. It could also come from the fact that I didn't go to college and I'm not good with math. Uh, that could, it could also come from that fact. Uh, honestly, we have a lot of roster left. I don't know if I was on the nose with my 40%, but we have a lot of roster left. We also have the existing partnership with AAA, which you mentioned. There's a great deal of talent at AAA and, and young talent. The obvious ones that you know, like the Aero Stars and Black Taurus and all that, but a great deal of young talent that I love uh, to feature on Dynamite Weekly. You know, there's flavors of Nitro here, and Nitro had an entire uh, cast of, of, of the, the Lucha cast itself, which we all saw grow up to be massive stars. So I think it has a little bit to do with me being bad with numbers, but there's definitely a great deal of people we've we've held back to this point so that they can be part of the dynamite era specifically. Thank you, Bill. Um, I'd like to call on next uh, Dave LaGreca. Dave, are you with us today? Hey, how you doing? Dave LaGreca from Busted Open. Thanks for the time. Whatever, Dave. Ask your question. I talk to you <laughs> way too much. I'm kidding, man. <laughs> wow. Um, Cody, you said that this is the biggest weekday when it comes to pro wrestling, and this is something that you've been waiting for for a long time. I'm interested what your mindset is going to be like Wednesday night. Are you going to have time to enjoy it? Are you going to be nervous? Are you going to feel pressure? What's going to be going through your head? Well, I mean, at this point, I've had about three sleepless nights in a row mixed with nervous puking. So, yeah, my anxiety levels are are through the roof for this event. I say it's the most important weekday in wrestling in my lifetime, but really, as wrestling fans and wrestling journalists on this call, I can't think of a more important night than perhaps MTV and rock and wrestling. I really can't think of a more important night when wrestling was destination. And we've got to keep it destination. So I don't mind those nerves. I don't mind, as long as they're not on my face when I come up out the tunnel uh, tomorrow night, as long as I can perform. I like to play into my nerves. Uh, Randy Orton taught me a term a long time ago called the red light guy. Uh, when the red light's on, I can do just about anything, and uh, that's, that's who I want to be uh, tomorrow for this show, and that's who I have to be. A lot of people have put a lot of pressure fairly on us, there's a lot of promises. There was a lot of campaigning and a lot of campaign promises to what Dynamite will be, what AEW will be. And the greatest thing about it is the people making those promises are also the one in the ring. So it's, it's my job to deliver. Nervous, absolutely. Scared, not one bit. I'm, I'm ready for this. Thanks very much, Dave. We're gonna read a question here from Jonathan Snowden. Um, so, Cody, I'm, I'm, this, this question is uh, from Jonathan. There'll be a ton of analysis after the show, much of it focused on the ratings, but a lot of that will be done without context. So what constitutes success um, uh, for you? What are, the, what are the Turner people and advertisers expecting? Well, I think there's a number that we have in mind. I'm not going to be as naive to say that number right now. I think... Wrestling is one of those things where when you come back through the go position, 
and you've had an absolute barn burner of a match where the crowd was up and down on everything and they, they took that ride with you. When you ask how it was, the truth is you already know. You heard them out there. That's going to be the biggest, the biggest test tomorrow is that, is that live audience. I think giving them this unbelievable show in a statement building like the Capital One Arena will be a good indicator of what the next day will be when the inevitable ratings come in. I think Turner has high expectations for this, and we have high expectations. We think this is a product that people want to see. We think this is a product that will appeal to the several million people that went away uh, around 2001 and now are calling themselves the returners is my favorite term, uh, term for them. So I think we have a number in mind and hopefully we hit it. I'm sorry if I, I can't share, um, but uh, nonetheless, I think that live crowd will let us know how we did. Thanks, Cody. Let's get back to the live lines now and like to call on Rich Fan. Rich, are you there? Yes, I am. Can you hear me? I can hear you, bud. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, Rich Fan Pro Wrestling Torch. Cody, thank you for your time. Uh, you mentioned in your press release the unparalleled diversity and inclusiveness of AEW, and that's been recognized with some of the charity work you've done, the tag team scene, women's scene, but we have seen the dearth of wrestlers of color in the men's single scene. Can we talk? Can you talk a little bit about what you're looking to do with Dynamite with regards to that, and particularly maybe wrestlers like Trevor Aon, Trevor Dunkerton, Darius Lockhart, and others who have said on Twitter that there kind of seems to be missing black wrestlers from your singles roster? Well, I think we wanted to put a product out that's congruent with today's society and a snapshot of what America and the world actually looks like. I think we're doing a good job, but that work is, is never finished. Uh, one of the things my wife has been absolutely a marvel at with this company is, is seeking out uh, diverse superstars and wrestlers for, for, for our product, and I think we'll continue to do so. I actually will challenge you to link me up with all three of those gentlemen that you just listed and link me up uh, on social media. I'll, I'll take a look at their stuff. I'll contact, I'll contact them directly because I said this uh, with Ryan Sadden not too long ago on this media tour. Uh, I think African-American representation on our brand is, 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 is huge. And there are some just absolute stud men and women that I would love to be part of AEW and love to be part of Dynamite. So please, link me up with them, and we are doing everything we can to continue to provide the most diverse roster, and first and foremost, the best roster. Thanks, Rich. Um, how about James Dixon? James, are you with us today? <clears throat> hey, man, yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. I can hear you, bud. Oh, hey, Cody, how are you doing? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for asking. Yeah, so obviously, man, you um, you know, you know the uh, UK wrestling scene fairly well, having been a major figure in building its profile over the years. Um, you've already hired Kip Sabian, Jimmy Havoc, and Sadie. Are there anyone, any other people on the scene who you've worked with or seen who you're interested in bringing in? That's a great question. I, uh, I'm about to go over for the Southside show, their last show, October uh, 26th. Maybe I'll do a little bit of a, a scouting trip uh, when I go over there. I haven't been in quite some time. I'm looking forward to it. But 
I think as we put a lot of effort on that partnership with the UK, uh, with FIGHT and with ITV, and that partnership is just in its gestation. It's not all that was announced. There's more to it. It's, it's slowly all coming to the surface, thankfully. But I think it's important that there are homegrown stars on. Uh, you mentioned Kip and Jimmy Havoc. Yeah, man, Kip is Kip's the whole he's the whole ball of wax. Kip is an absolute star. And I, I'm sure I'd like to find uh, a few more over there. Also, we've got to talk about it, the fact that, that at a certain point in 2020, AEW is going to come to the UK, for sure. And when we do, um, I, I really would like the show to have, feature a great deal of, of homegrown UK talent. Thanks, James. Um, Chris Mueller, you're up next. Chris, you with us. Yes, I am. Can you hear me? I can hear you. All right. Excellent. Thank you. Um, all right. So there seems to be kind of a misconception among fans that any disgruntled WWE talent can just go to AEW. Do you guys have an ideal roster size in mind that you'd like to get to, and how close are you to getting to that point right now? That's a great, great question. I'd say we're probably in the 85% uh, kind of full up for this first this first bit of dynamite, if that makes any sense. We've, we've gridded our TVs uh, very far back. There's a lot of emphasis on long-form storytelling. So we're, we're fairly full at the moment. Definitely there's, there's some gems along the way. Um, but, yeah, there is a misconception that anytime someone is disgruntled or anytime someone has a bad Raw or SmackDown, that they can immediately call or text me and – It'll, it'll be done like that. But I have to say we would be doing a disservice to the crew we have now. Um, there's a lot of people that will be introduced uh, over the course of Dynamite. Some of them you've already met, that people like Riho, uh, people, people like Kip, people like MJF. And it's important that we introduce, introduce that crew and do them justice. Otherwise, I'd find myself in the position I was in at WWE where I felt like I wasn't being presented and nostalgia was being played instead. And I think that's important. But to answer your question transparently, I'd say about 85%. Excellent. Thanks, Cody. And and <clears throat> we are now going to go with Joseph Stajewski. Apologies if I've got that pronounced incorrectly, but Joseph, I believe you know we're calling on you. So you're up next. And Joseph, we need to have you unmute your line, please. He was mad that you mispronounced his name. <laughs> I can spell it. <laughs> I just can't pronounce it. Um, Joseph, we'll we'll come back to you if if, uh, if if we see you up on the on the screen here. Um, Stu Myrick, are you with us by any chance? Stu? Okay. Stu, you're looks like you're on mute too. Oh, Stu, you with us? I am. Stu Myrick okay, from Stu, you're up. in Austin. Cody, it's good to talk to you, my friend. Hey, man. How you doing? I'm good. Heavy in football season, but we got to talk wrestling. Yeah. I, I want to ask you this. Uh, you've got You've got a vast global audience that's going to tune in tomorrow night to TNT. 
for you know all of us that are wrestling journalists and those that follow independent wrestling, we know a lot of these talents. You know, I'm very familiar with Sammy Guevara being a tech, being a Texas kid. Talk about the process you're going to use in introducing a lot of the talent to this vast global audience, a good chunk of which may not be as familiar with the independent scene or the British scene or the Joshi scene. Well, we've got two hours of multiple play that, that we call dynamite. And not only do we have those two hours of multiple play, we have shoulder content that's very popular in terms of being the elite, in terms of the Road 2 series. It's about making the human connection. It's something that UFC and mixed martial arts and uh, HBO, when they were still in the boxing game, was doing incredibly well. They were really making an effort to introduce you to the men and women before they stepped into the ring, and then you cared. You, you, you had love for somebody, you, you had ire for somebody. So I think it's our job to do that. And taking a look at how Dynamite shapes up uh, tomorrow night, I think we're gonna be successful with introducing new people as far as the key to the human connection isn't giving them an artificial character. The key to the human connection is showing the real character that they are and just turning that up. And that's what I want to do. And not only tomorrow on Dynamite, but actually tonight, the countdown special that is happening on TNT is specifically just that. It's about introducing you to these people, not just the characters, but even Chris Jericho's mystery tag partners. It's, it's very much about the human connection. And I know that just seems like words, but hopefully when people see Dynamite, they'll understand what I mean in terms of that human connection and showcasing it to the world. Anthony Suter is next up. Anthony, are you with us? Yes, I'm right here. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Awesome. Uh, so you guys have announced several dates all the way through the first week of December. For the beginning of 2020, as far as weekly TV is concerned, can you shed a little light on what the strategy is for moving across the country? and when some of the other side of the United States will actually get to see AEW Dynamite live uh, from their region? It's a really great question. And honestly, I, I wish I had kind of answered this at some point earlier, just in the last month, because people seem to think we may be neglecting the West Coast or uh, uh, the Upper Northwest, when in actuality, we're working our way down from the Eastern you know, the Eastern seaboard and then across through the Midwest. And that's just a logistical and cost measure. We're running real arenas. We don't want to run studio TV. We want to run real arenas and we want to bring this party to every, every city, A, B, C, D markets. It doesn't matter. Uh, we want people to have a dang good time. And we have field tested this because all of us had been on the road, me for 11 years with WWE and the Bucks with Ring of Honor. And then we were on the road together. So as we move across, and you mentioned January and, you know, around well, Thanksgiving and stuff, we're back in Chicago, and then we're going to be moving our way out west. So fans who are on the west who feel like we've, we've kept them out since double or nothing, we're definitely headed your way, and we'll definitely service as many of those markets as we can over there. To be a little bit more specific, I think we have the best market rep in the entire industry, and that being Raphael Morphy. I butcher his last name pretty often, but... Raphael is an absolute 
amazing hire um, by All Elite Wrestling, and he is teaching us because it's very great that this is a wrestling company by wrestlers, but there are some things that us silly wrestlers don't know, and Raphael has been able to help make those inroads with buildings and things like that. He's been a real pro, so Raphael, we're putting all the pressure on him. We will definitely be heading west and uh, definitely in, in 2020. Thanks, Cody. We're going to read uh, Joseph's, uh, Joseph Suzuki's uh, uh, question here uh, from, from the New York Post, and that is, Cody, how do you see being the elite and the Road 2 series, how that complements what we're going to see on Dynamite? Well, it's a little bit of the buffet. I was told once that that's what you need to offer the wrestling fandom is a buffet. You need to give them a little bit of the high spot fueled bell to bell unbelievable action you need to give them a little bit of savage steamboat all the while you need to give them a little bit of tully dusty i know these are references to an older era but there's different types of pro wrestling and there is no right way there's no wrong way excuse me there's no wrong way to do what we do the only thing that matters is the fans appreciation of it if they liked it and we, we offer that. And being the elite is the absurd. It is the Deadpool of wrestling. It is the fourth wall poking element of wrestling that was so taboo. And now it's pretty much, you see it all over the place. Spring break is popping up left and right. The, the Bucks set an absolute trend with that. And then what I do with the Road 2 series is old school, southern, traditional wrestling. And they still work together. It's what makes this band of the four of us function and what Kenny brings in with the Joshi women that he's brought in for the, the women's division, it's a whole nother element. So I think you'll, you'll never see those styles watered down. People will often kind of give us a hard time. Well, there has to be one vision for this. There has to be one. No, because there's not one fan in the audience. There's millions of fans worldwide. There is not one vision for this. Uh, there, there is an overall general vision in terms of all of our different styles and providing that buffet. Thanks, Cody. Um, next in line up now is Matt Visek. Matt, can you unmute? Yes, I just unmuted. How you doing, Cody? I'm good, buddy. So I'm with the Vegas Bad Boys of Podcasting, and you did say a little bit about reaching across to the West Coast. That kind of threw this in my mind, and that is, you did a great job with Double or Nothing and a great job with the, uh, the all-in and all-out um, on a pay-per-view basis. Once Dynamite's up and going, are you guys planning on starting, like, a, you know, a bi-monthly or a quarterly pay-per-view? More likely, meaning a quarterly. You know, we, we had talked originally about having just four pay-per-view events. We understand that pay-per-view is expensive and we understand that less is more in our industry as far as building to these events and not having them just kind of willy-nilly um, every month. Uh, so I would say more more along the lines of quarterly. There's talks about doing a UK tour as I, I mentioned. There's talks about doing some uh, specials like Fight for the Fallen where there are charitable elements. Um, but, yeah, we're looking at more four to five major pay-per-views um, 
as we go, and very likely after full gear, which is our third major pay-per-view, that fourth one, very likely, you guys can't see me, but I'm winking, will likely be on the West Coast. Next up is Christian Bruns. Christian, are you with us? Hey, Cody. Fans in Germany, France, and as well as other uh, smaller European countries are still wondering whether or not they will have access to Dynamite as these uh, countries are blocked from the subscription service on site. Do you have any information if this will change between now and tomorrow, or are fans being left out? I, I would hope fans wouldn't be left out. It's definitely something that we're looking at currently, and particularly not because you're asking me, and you're from Germany, correct? Sir? Oh, okay, sorry. You are from Germany. Well, I was going to say the German market is massive. Uh, I just did a German magazine just uh, two days ago. Uh, I was in two wonderful sellouts in Paris in terms of France and that market. We don't want to leave anybody out. One of the things about having a major cable carrier uh, cover this company is that the international deals are very hard to navigate, and they, they are beyond my depth. Um, as, as an EVP, but we have the right people in place because we want the product everywhere. Germany, France, and the smaller European countries. Right now with Fight, I know that there are some places excluded and, and left out, but we're doing everything we can to get what they call in production ignitions um, to all these countries. And I'll, I'll, I'll do everything in my power because it was always our goal for everyone to see. You know, we don't have a, a network subscription service just yet. So we're working with the tools we have, and our focus was dynamite uh, to begin with, and then growing it out. So I would hope that uh, nobody gets left out in the in the first month, at least, of dynamite. Definitely something Mike Weber and Fight have done a great job uh, that we're all we're all working on. And believe me, Matt Nick, and Kinney, it's a question we regularly ask in our in our group meetings: is when are we going here? How do we get there? Because um, people want to see it. Next up is Jay Holland, and Jay, we'll need to have you unmute, please. I'm unmuted. How are you guys doing today? Hey, buddy. How are you? I'm doing all right. This is Jay Holland with the Unsanctioned Podcast, and uh, I'll catch you guys at Boston next week. Uh, my question for you, Cody, is seeing that how, you know, your father was such a visionary and, and creative of such iconic matches such as, you know, war games, I guess my question is, within AEW, can we envision – of match creation of itself, similar to war games or even more expanded, uh, specifically that is for AEW that the wrestling world hasn't seen yet. Well, you mentioned war games, and I'm I'm kind of sitting here thinking to myself, I'd really love to just buy it back. And I wonder if they'd be willing for me just to buy it back, because Dusty came up with the match concept on a napkin in the parking lot. Arn Anderson was there. I got a witness. The one they do now isn't truly loyal to the old school rules of it. Maybe, maybe I can get, maybe I can get it back. But in the beauty, the beauty of that, War Games just came out of the experience of being around wrestling, seeing the horsemen build up, seeing the the good guys and, and their adversaries, and all of a sudden the light bulb went off. Hopefully, a match comes to us the same way. 
we started with the Casino Battle Royale, which is Nick's ja Nick Jackson's idea of doing almost a layered Royal Rumble. And I think with the women's one, which was far superior to the men's one, uh, I think we got the formula for that right. I would really hope that we come up with some great matchups on our own. I could always steal from my dad, but come on. Well, I wouldn't be, uh, he, he wouldn't be proud if I was just yanking all his ideas. I do have the bunkhouse stampede on lockdown if and when we need to. Also battle bowl if and when we need to. But I know amongst us, especially Tony Khan, who seems like he's coming up with a different match concept every day. I know we, uh, we can come up with something real original. And maybe we float that out. Float that out to WWE for me. See if I can buy back War Games. <laughs> Thanks, Cody. Uh, I'm going to read a question uh, just uh, entered by Jason Powell. Cody, will you be keeping an eye on your head-to-head -head competition on a monitor, or will you be focused solely on your own show? Well, we'll be focused solely on our own show. We, uh, I think it would be arrogant of us if we had a monitor on the go position with um, what the competitor was doing at the time. Of course, we're not living under a rock. We, we, we're going to be aware and, and what's, you know, what's matched up against what and how they did, you know, when you get to look at all that data on Thursday. But uh, we've got to do us. We were always going to be on uh, TNT on, on, a, on a major cable network like this. So this was always in our plan. Uh, their move to USA, and this is not meant as a negative, so WWE diehards, please do not freak out, was a reactionary move towards us. So they can watch us. Uh, we'll be we'll be taking care of our own business. Thanks, Cody. Um, next up, Philip Antwine. Philip, are you there? Yes, I am. Thank you, uh, Philip Antwine from the Bullet Cast out here in San Francisco, California. Um, what do you think is the promotion's biggest strength? Is it the in-ring action? Is it the promos? Is it the storylines? Or is it something else? Biggest strength is the in-ring action, for, for sure. So it's, it's the first thing you said, because I think the misconception now is that you cannot tell stories bell to bell in between the ropes. Stories like Ric Flair used to tell on a nightly basis, and you absolutely can tell those stories. So I think that is our biggest, the, the thing we have going for us is our bell to bell, our in-ring action. And then I, I spoke to it earlier. I think to accompany the entering action is the human connection. Is find out who these people are. Our our biggest strength. Let me double back here slightly. Our biggest strength is all the things that we have been talking about and complaining about for twenty something years. If that makes sense, we've heard all that. If somebody was to try and spy on us and get the formula for what are they doing? Why are people into this? I don't understand. This isn't this isn't good. No, it, it is good. It is good. See the crowd? See the continued sellouts? That's the value. It's a product people want to see. And we just want to spread that product and share it with these returners and casual fans who might have tuned out and will see it for the first time and see wrestling differently, but see something they recognize from, from way back, if that makes any sense. But again, in, in the fairness of transparency here, the first thing, in-ring action, is what sets us apart. Thanks, Cody. Uh, I'm going to call on Steve Menando for the next question. Uh, Steve, I believe you're on mute. If you can unmute, you'll be good to go. 
Hey, Cody, how's it going? Uh, Steve here from the Armchair Bookers Podcast. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you, buddy. Hey, thanks, man. I uh, appreciate you taking the time to have everybody on here today. This is really, really exciting, really awesome. We're all really stoked for uh, for tomorrow night's big event. Um, I want to talk talk about one thing, actually two things, and kind of join them together here because you talked a lot about um, the storytelling, right? You also mentioned you know, the, the potential quarterly pay-per-views. Do you feel that the infrequency in which you guys have pay-per-views is going to affect the ability to give long-term quality storytelling? Oh, no. I think... I think it only puts the priority for the stories to be on dynamite themselves. I was once told that TV is a commercial for the live events. Well, the best thing about this, the very healthy schedule that Tony Khan has offered is there are no weekend live events. It's just dynamite. That's our sole focus, meaning that is where the heart and soul of these stories go. There'll be stories specific to dynamite that aren't geared towards pay-per-view. So I think that will end up being a strength for both the pay-per-views and the weekly show itself. Thanks, Cody. Uh, Joseph Galizia. Joseph, are you uh, are you with us? Hey, can you guys can you guys hear me? Yes, we can. Uh, clear. Hey, Cody, how are you? Thank you so much for taking my call and my question. Um, wanted to talk about uh, Triple Mania. You got to team up with Psycho Clown and former UFC star Cain Velasquez. Uh, he recently said in an ESPN interview uh, that he really likes what AEW is doing. Is he a guy that you foresee AEW keeping an eye on? Uh, and can you just talk about your experiences having with him at Triple Mania? It's definitely something, uh, somebody that I am keeping an eye on. Uh, Kane was one of those athletes it's not even an athlete thing. It's almost just a strange natural ability to pick up our, our industry. Man, he picked it up so, so quick. And he wasn't doing mixed martial arts, Cain Velasquez. He was trying to do true lucha. And he had worked with Psycho Clown, who's Psycho Clown, if you haven't caught him. It's just amazing. What a, what a stud. Uh, so I was blown away by Cain Velasquez. I would love... Uh, to bring that tandem and that tag back uh, to all of the wrestling. I'm glad to hear he likes what we were doing. Uh, I like what he's done with AAA. I continue to monitor it. Uh, and that might be something you see of a personal project for me if, uh, if and when Kane would like to come play ball with us. Um, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be down. Um, there's something very special. I mean, the man was a former UFC heavyweight champ and nice guy. Um, you know, represents a, a whole part of the world, just a special, special human being. Uh, I, I think he'd be a great fit to our family. And next up is TJ Quinn. TJ, are you uh, with us today? Uh, yes, I am. Um, thank you. Um, my question, um, first off, thanks for having me on, um, is you mentioned that you have a lot of people that are that had dropped off of wrestling fandom. How do you plan on getting those fans back into wrestling? I think the ticket is we have our demographic that, that has kind of followed us around and they've, they've enjoyed what All Elite has been about and they, they've been part of this army. The reason the show was almost called Revolution is because whether some people like it or not, what's happening in wrestling right now, it's, it's a revolution and these revolutionary fans are part of it. I think it's about those revolutionary fans spreading the message, not unlike any 
pop culture hit today where you tell you, hey, did you watch this show? Hey, did you, you know, and we do that now via social media and these fun emojis. I was just doing it the other night. I met some people talking about American Horror Story. I think it's about appeasing and playing to this, this crew of fans that has got us to this point and them spreading the message that is all elite wrestling. And then the power of TV is not something you can dismiss. It's something that's set off and like, oh, once we have the power of TV, so many wrestling companies that couldn't get it wanted it. It truly is special. Warner Media has done such an absurdly good job with the marketing and the branding of AEW and, and sharing it with perhaps fans that that weren't fans, it's it's really absolutely just I, I'm marveling at how well they've done of a job at Warner Media and the chief brand officer and the most beautiful woman in the world, my wife. I, it's amazing. Another key to getting to some people who've never seen wrestling is extrapolating on the character profiles you have. I'll give you an example. Brandon Cutler is wrestling MJF tomorrow, uh, tonight, or tomorrow on Dynamite, and they got into a Twitter beef over Dungeons & Dragons. And the amount of Dungeons & Dragons fans who have never even seen a dang wrestling ring who are now tuning into this to see if MJF uh, basically gets shut up, it's really special. Um, and that's a way to, to kind of combine all the different fandoms, and I hope I hope we can do that. There's a reason I go on social and kind of put my neck out there about the games I love and the teams I love and the shows I love. It's I want to connect uh, the interconnectivity that is a is is our world and the entertainment world. So I answered that with the biggest possible answer ever, but I, I hope that's how we can do it. Cody, I've got a question here from Michael Shalik uh, from SU Scoops. Cody, can you talk about the biggest challenge you've experienced thus far as an executive VP of AEW? Has anything really surprised you uh, about the process from the corporate side? You know, I think I was supposed to be really challenged up to this point, but I had the just absolute blessing of having had Dusty in my life who was an executive with Turner uh, and WCW and also a performer. I got to see firsthand uh, managing and producing a segment and then going out to the ring and performing yourself and performing at a high level. I wouldn't know what to do with this wrestling education I've got if it wasn't for AEW. I mean, I got three decades talk everyday wrestling with Dusty Rhodes. I got 11 years to be around guys like Dean Malenko, Arn Anderson, Randy Orton, uh, all these wonderful people who taught me. So that's why I don't think I've been challenged by the corporate side of this job yet. Is I, this education was perfect for it. I'm sure there will things that will come up. There are things that a wrestler who didn't go to college like me isn't fully aware of or in tune to. And the first thing I do is find somebody who is. I'll give you prime examples. Chris Harrington, who's the vice president of business operations, Raphael Morphy, the market rep. We, we've tried to flank ourselves with genuinely very smart people uh, when it comes to this. And Tony Khan, what a businessman that guy is. What a businessman and what a great champion and ally of the wrestling business. So I've yet to really be challenged by it all other than knowing when to take the headset off 
and start stretching. As simple and silly as that sounds, it's been like mental math for me, but it hasn't been a challenge yet, mainly because it's been too much fun. Cody, I've got one more that was uh, lobbed to us via email here uh, from John Alba uh, from the Spectrum Sports and Living the Gimmick podcast. John likes to know how hands-on uh, TNT is with the physical production of the TV show outside of cost. Will it will it have any say in the format slash rundown, or is that strictly on the AEW team? It's strictly on the AEW team, uh, what you see as far as Dynamite is concerned. They have been uh, absolute wonderful allies in terms of production. They, uh, they do wonderful things with the NBA. If you look at some of the big wigs there at Turner with Brett, uh, with Sam, uh, with, with uh, Kevin, and you look at what they've been able to do, they've offered us those resources. I'm talking about something as functional as the difference between a jib cam and a flying jib cam. And to have that high-res, uh, next-level production that the NBA has uh, partnered up with Keith Mitchell, who a lot of people on this call already know who Keith Mitchell is, former executive producer for World Class, turned WCW, I mean, the absolute man when it comes to this type of stuff. Uh, I, uh, they've, they've just been great allies. They've yet to... Uh, give us any type of ultimatums or network notes concerning the show. They, they're allowing us to go out there and play our music and hope that people love it. Great. We're, uh, we're, we're almost at time here. Cody, if you got time for one more question, we're going to spin the roulette sure. wheel here. And it uh, looks like Tommy Walter comes up the winner here for the last question. Tommy, are you with us? Yes, I am. Wow, what a what an honor to be the last question. Tommy. How's it going, Cody? It's very, very good. How are you? I'm doing well. This is kind of a, a statistical question because <laughs> I'm a geek. But uh, so knowing how big of a statistician and that Tony Khan is and data analysis and all that, how much will not only wins and losses, but Elda Bell uh, TV ratings, and also just general fan uh, interaction. How much will that play into, I don't want to say script, but your general outline for say the next six to 12 months? Well, you know, one of them is kind of the business of the business, which is super entertaining. And the other is more narrative, the content you see on the surface. I can tell you as far as wins and losses are, are concerned, it isn't just the wins and losses almost look at it as how college football is, um, is appropriated when you look at the quality of wins. One of the things that Tony did, which was really wonderful in, his, uh, in the press release with Sports Illustrated about me and Jericho, he talked about the quality of wins I had, uh, being Dustin and, and being Sean Spears. And that it'll, it'll play a heavy role in the show, wins, losses, the, the quality of wins. And then as the numbers go up in terms of matches, uh, that will be a really wonderful time to break out the, the heat chart and you start getting percentages on body parts and how many times uh, somebody has lost uh, to the walls, for example, or a code breaker. And that stuff will really help once our, our numbers start to, to go up in terms of actual matches. On the other side, we, we, we hope that that narrative element of it, the wins and losses mattering and the building and the prestige and the championships mattering, uh, we hope that it will it will be congruent with the ratings and that they will go up 
with all that as well. Thank you very much, Michael Weissman, for joining me at the top of the show to talk the news of the day. Thank you to Joey Janella, Effie, Cody Rhodes for the time with the media. This is, if you're here listening now, we're probably past the two-hour mark with all the audio we put in here today. So thank you for sticking around. Thank you for listening. A lot of great feedback recently on the show. And if you like the show, of course, you can go over to our iTunes channel. Five-star ratings, nice comments, always appreciated. We'll be back in the saddle here tomorrow. Me and Justin Labar, I will actually be in D.C., when I record the episodes with Justin uh, Wednesday and Thursday, I'm going to be on site for AEW Dynamite uh, participating Woo! in the media scrums. Uh, so uh, tomorrow, Justin will be back uh, talking the news. And I'll also have my interview with Medusa on tomorrow's show. Of course, a pivotal player in the, uh, the original war between WWE and WCW. And uh, our new, one of our newest contributors to the site, Kid Ref, Chris Levin. You've probably seen him on Impact Wrestling. He's got an interview with Santino Morella that we're going to air on tomorrow's show. He's also got an exclusive uh, post uh, with some of the quotes from his Santino interview and a little backstory on how Santino is transcending, uh, transitioning away from that name into his real name, Anthony Corelli, and how he's kind of re- uh, recreating his career and his persona right now on the independent. So very excited to release uh, both of those interviews for you tomorrow, along with all the news of the week, uh, the news of the 20 past 24 hours. Michael, anything you want to plug, promote, put over here before we wrap up the show today? Not a whole lot. You can always follow me on Twitter. I'm at the real Wisen. But for Wrestling Inc. this week, I'll be returning to the post game duties after SmackDown. So big, big, big show Friday night, and I'm happy to say that I'll be helping break it down for you immediately after the fact. Ho hopefully, Kofi Kingston will still be our reigning, defending WWE champion. But who knows? We'll find out Friday night. Break it down. Uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I am. It's good. <laughs> I liked it. I am at Wink Rebel over on Twitter. Thank you again so much for listening. And remember, if you winked, you didn't miss it. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.